everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and I want to welcome you to episode 100 of Limb Lengthening Live, where the patients interview the guests. And today we have a very special guest joining us. He is a world-class limb lengthening and deformity reconstruction surgeon who has thousands of successful surgeries under his belt. Not only that, but he's also the reason why the Limb Lengthening Live podcast series is where it is today. That's right. He helped us kick off episode one, and now he's back to do episode 100 in today's awesome presentation. So without further ado, hailing in from the Paley Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce you to the best limb lengthening surgeon in the world, Dr. Kreb Robbins. Uh, thank you, Victor, for, for your very kind words. It's pretty amazing, 100 episodes already. It seems like we just started talking a couple of weeks ago, and, and here we are. So congratulations on that, for getting your good information out. And it's kind of exciting to, to come back where it all started. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. You have helped us tremendously for this huge monumental milestone. Um, but, you know, I'm super pumped to have you here, Dr. Robbins, but we're not alone. We have some of your patients here from the Paleo Institute, um, but we're going to get to them in a little while. So let's go ahead and kick off the show. Uh, so first off, we're going to go ahead and go through the agenda. I'm going to pull up a presentation that I have here. Uh, today's topic is limb lengthening horizons technologies and techniques uh with dr craig robbins for the paley orthopedic and spine institute in west palm beach florida so uh the in intro is we're gonna go over who dr robbins is for those of you who are new here then we're going to talk about the topic of today which is the technologies and techniques as well as some tips that dr robbins has from his orthopedic practice over the years then we have some submitted patient questions uh from some of you who have actually emailed me or put them into the communities. Then we're going to talk about the Pele Institute and why it's one of the best clinics in the world. In fact, it is the best clinic in the world, it's the most experienced. Uh, and then we're going to do an open live Q&A to all you patients watching around the world. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get the process started. So Dr. Robbins, I mentioned it at the beginning, he's a world-class surgeon, has done surgeries all over the world, talks all over the world, but he also works next to the most experienced limb lengthening surgeon in the world, Dr. Dror Paley. So I want to get a, a take from you, Dr. P uh, Robbins. What is it like working next to a legendary surgeon like Dr. Paley? What, did it help you hone your orthopedic skills over the years more than yeah. it already is? Yeah. yeah it, so, so you've heard me say it, and, and I have no problem saying it again. I've been doing this for 18 or 19 years, whatever. I finished training in 2005, however long ago that is. And I go to work, and I still learn every day. Part of it is just, I, th I think, me, and, and when I say me, I mean all the other people on our team, he selected us because of what we bring to the table and who we are as individuals and, and as surgeons and clinicians. But all of us have that own internal drive to be better and hone our craft more. And it's nice to say that after this long, I still learn things every day from doing what we do. And I'm a better surgeon today than I was 10 years ago. And let's hope 10 years, I'm, I'm even a better surgeon uh, just from experience and the breadth of pathology and, and where our patients come from. But I remember, you know, so for people who are in the medical community and know the name Paley or patients who have met him or, or are excited by his name and what he brings to the table, that was me in 2002. I was a resident in New Orleans. I got the bug to do pediatric orthopedics. And I remember distinctly walking up to him as a at a meeting and introducing myself and say, hey, I want to learn from you. A month later, I got an email from one of his administrators. And uh, two years later, I was doing my fellowship with him. And here we are. So I am on uh, my nine and nine and a half years with him. Uh, I was in private practice for nine and, and university for nine years total. And then I've been nine years with him. And I don't know. It's pretty amazing. 
Definitely is. Definitely is. Dr. Pilly is definitely a myth, but you are here right now. So um, I know you've been all around the world this past year doing lectures from, I think you told me, Brazil and then just recently Germany to give talks yeah. on limb lengthening. So what were your focus when you were at these events? So a nice thing about the institute we're at, even though we are not technically a teaching hospital like you would think of a university with residents and medical students, we are a, an, an educational a higher learning institute because we publish our research, we publish our results. We think we're great, but we also try to show we're great by, by our results. It's not us just saying we are because we think we are. So we do a lot of research considering we're not considered an academic institution like a university affiliated with a you know, major teaching center. So as a result of who we are and the good work we do, we get invited by various institutions to come share our knowledge. And whether you're in the stature side of this, which is a very small niche practice, or you're in the pediatric reconstructive side of this, which is small but still bigger, or you're in the adult trauma reconstruction, all of which I do, there, there's global communities, especially now with Zoom and teleconferencing, the world is a much smaller place than even 15 years ago. So it's always nicer, I think, to go in person because you get to talk behind the scenes and you get to interact face to face and share cases standing by the water cooler between meetings. But it's nice. I'm very privileged and humbled to be invited to these meetings. Whenever I can, I go just to spread the word of the good work we're doing and learn. Uh, I was in the in the German meeting and they were talking about doing some really cool bifocal, whatever fancy word, transport for, for bone lengthening, distraction for trauma reconstruction. I was like, that was really cool. It's something I hadn't seen before. So yeah, I've been personally in Brazil. I've been personally in Germany. Um, I just lectured in Japan. Uh, I did a virtual in Uruguay. I did a virtual in Argentina. I, it's really, it's really very cool. That sounds like it's super cool, man. All around the world spreading the good word about limb lengthening uh, from the best clinic in the world. So that's amazing. Um, now, I mean, we know you spend a ton of time in the OR in clinic checking up on your patients. I mean, you were just doing it backstage. That's why we were a little bit late because you wanted to follow up with your f former patients yeah. here. That's incredible. Um, but, you know, you're also a husband and father to these amazing, like, I guess, athlete phenoms over here. So yeah. <laughs> talk about the family, man. <laughs> it, so uh, always family first, right? So you, you put on your work pants and you go to work and you do your thing, but you come home and it's the people you surround yourself with who help you decompress and get through the day and the stress of the, of the things you do. And I'm so fortunate to have amazing kids and amazing wife, amazing siblings. And uh, really, Victor, my life is so blessed. And I, I think it comes with wisdom, reading glasses, balding gray hair is you learn to appreciate the things you have and there is no greener grass i am really 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 fortunate to be in the place i am surrounded by great people not just at home but my my work family too you see your work people more than you see your home family and and really truly um surrounded by excellent people so thanks incredible. for incredible no, definitely. And before we go on leisure activity and fun, I know you, uh, you know, Dr. Pilly is into biking and, and yeah. now picking up pickleball. But what are you? Yeah. I, I think you mentioned working out at one point. What, what do you yeah, like? Yeah, yes. You can't tell by looking. But in, in, in my former uh, previous <laughs> life, I was a pretty avid triathlete. I'm um, not sure if you remember, if you know, about two and a half years ago, I had a pretty significant wrist reconstruction. So I'm 100 percent functional working, but doing some of the outdoor activities I used to like, I'm a little hesitant to do it. Uh, I was a very skilled canyoneer. So a lot of rope work going down into canyons all over Utah. 
Um, and, you know, it's great if everything works out, but we're really off the grid out there. And if I injure myself, I become a liability to my group. So unfortunately, I've given up some of those more extreme things. Mountain biking, I can't really do anymore. So just, you know, running, swimming, getting on my bike, working out, just keep keeping nice. my, my brain functioning outside of the operating room. And, and I cook <laughs> is probably my biggest hobby now is I cook. I feed an army four kids, three in college, their friends are always over uh, on any Friday night. There may be 12 people at the house. We fire up the smoker and go get it. So look at that. We got a Bobby Flay over here now too. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, guys, we're gonna get into the meat and potatoes of today's presentation, which is technologies, techniques and tips. And we're gonna start off with uh, limb lengthening technology. And we're gonna start off with bone lengthening, which is what we're all here for limb lengthening. So I want to ask Dr. Robbins the first subtopic, which is an external fixator versus an internal nail. And what are, you know, what's, do you think that one is more purposeful for deformities and another purely for limb lengthening? So you kind of have to go back and, and this is not really because these have been discussed with you on your channel. So I'll refer people to some of your previous ones. And, and there's there's good lectures, especially by Dr. Paley on the history of limb lengthening and limb reconstruction. But in a nutshell, an external fixator was kind of designed because you have the ability to correct multiple deformities at one time. So if you want to add length to something, if you want to add angulation to something, if you want to add rotation to something, you can do all of those simultaneously with a fixator. Well, as we get better as surgeons and we expand our own horizons and try new things, which is pretty much what we do every day at Paley Institute, we realized, well, what if I can take a crooked bone and make it straight first in the surgery? And maybe I can even correct some of that rotation all at once in the surgery. So now my crooked rotated bone is straight and rotated properly. And now it's just a short leg. Oh, well, now I can put a, a nail in and get the length because the nails can go plus or minus, at least today's technology. So we're now pushing envelopes on what used to be pretty much only the realm of fixator. We're now trying to get to internal which then mm -hmm. kind of goes back to your question. Well, if external works so good, why don't we just use external for everybody? And the answer is just because lifestyle with the fixator is a little different than lifestyle internal, because by definition, the fixed a fixator is external to your body. It's attached to your body through pins and wires that go through skin and muscles. Mm -hmm. And there's risk for infection. There's risks for those things breaking. They're mm -hmm. on for a long time. They get in the way with clothes. What do you do in cold weather? How do you drive a car? How do you sleep? How do you ride on an airplane? So, so, if you had your choice and you had the same outcome of this external contraption or an internal device, then it's sort of a standard to use the internal device if you can. And sometimes though that you can't, uh, bad bone, broken metal in the bone, uh, previous infection, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So what's nice about us and what we do is we are equally facile with both. And sometimes we combine them. Sometimes we use a fixator and a nail or fixator mm -hmm. and then a nail or fixator with it, uh, you know, the, the permutations are endless. But I think if you are in the game of limb lengthening, and I don't just mean stature lengthening, but if you are a limb deformity or limb corrective surgeon or trauma surgeon, you really need to be facile with both. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what we offer our patients. Again, whether this is for post-traumatic, post-infectious, post-tumor, uh, congenital problems, or limb lengthening. If yeah. I can take a child with a crooked leg and make it straight and to length, I can certainly take an adult with normal intact bones and add length to them. Right. 
it's so, much simpler with that. that that's that's yeah. very clear. Uh, now, Dr. Robbins, a lot of patients, you know, prospective patients, they asked about the difference between a magnetic or an electromotive uh, nail versus a mechanical nail. Yeah. Can you explain the difference between the two and when, you know, what you're, you know, what you would prefer to use? Yeah. So to be clear, in the United States, it, at least to my knowledge, the only FDA approved device is the precise and the pre precise brand of technologies is which is magnetic driven there is another device that is that has has an actuator it comes from germany i know there are some centers using it but i don't know if that's fda approved so i don't want to speak or say something improperly so I only talk about what i know so mm -hmm. so i know the new vase of product line that's called precise and the precise max that's going to be coming out we'll talk about that in a little bit and that is a magnetically driven device um, that device in, in one iteration or another has been around since 2010 or 11. Drawer and I have put in 4,000 nails uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, the rest of our partners, you know, we've put in a lot of nails. And so that is a tried and true technology. And some great things about it, it is patient controlled, mm -hmm. but we set the parameters. So how fast does the bone distract? How much distraction in a day? how many times per day we do that. And a great, great thing is not only can we add length, but we can also go in reverse. So mm -hmm. if you try to add length to somebody, obviously we're going in a positive direction, but there are some times uh, where we want to actually reverse and compress if there's a gap or we're treating a non-union or some other reason. So, so we use a magnetic driven nail. That's the precise line of things. And it's an external device that has a magnet in it. Mm -hmm. It couples magnetically, you can't see it or feel it, to the internal magnet in the device. And it is a relatively easy thing to use. It's a few times today and, and our patients can speak to it. It is essentially painless. We're talking about lengthening in, in standard scale, one one hundredth of an inch per session of about 60 seconds or a quarter of a millimeter, which is not much. But you do that four times a day or two times a day for two months and oh my gosh, you've turned an acorn in, into an oak tree. So, uh, so that's what we use is that magnetically driven nail. That's the new base of uh, precise line of implants. Gotcha. Now you kind of mentioned it. There's been the talk of their new line, the precise max coming out. It's a weight bearing yeah. nail versus yeah. their tried and true uh, nail, the precise 2.2, which yeah. is on the market right now. Now, a lot of patients kind of like, should I wait for the, the max, the weight-bearing yeah. nail, or the non-weight-bearing nail? Can, can you compare and contrast yeah. the difference between a weight-bearing nail, non-weight-bearing nail, and like the differences in recovery and rehabilitation? Yeah. I can't. So we did have a weight-bearing nail for a short period of time. Again, I, you know, we're not pointing fingers. We're, uh, I, I don't want to name things because that's not what we're talking about. But we did have a weight-bearing nail for a while. Unfortunately, that was, was pulled off the market, but it also happened during COVID. So mm -hmm. follow-up was cut short. Our patient volume was cut short. Um, and the nature of, of our practice, our patients are with us for the entire distraction phase, which we'll get into why, why our results are so good because our patients stay with us for the lengthening phase for intensive rehab and, and close follow-up. But then they return home to finish their, their rehab. And I don't see them again in person, usually for at least a year, year and a half till they're having the rods out and they've already recovered. So yeah. I can tell you anecdotally, yeah, maybe the full weight bearing patients recovered a little bit faster. But the reality is by the time six months, a year goes by, whether it was a weight bearing nail or a partial weight bearing nail, you're still going to recover. Your results are going to be the same. You're going to get the same amount of length. So it is more convenient for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Because imagine if you weigh 140 pounds, uh, say 70 something kilos, and you want to take a shower, but your rods can only hold 22 kilos or 50 pounds per leg. Well, do some math. You got to hold about 30 to 50 pounds, 20 to 30 kilos on your arms. Well, how do you take a shower if you got to hold part of your body weight? How do you cook for yourself? Uh, how do you get a glass of water? How do you go brush your teeth? And so our patients can speak to it. You, you rapidly learn how to adapt to it. And, and it's just part of the grind. And it's part of what you sign up for. It, it's hard work to get to get this length. And uh, that's part of your work. So certainly, if you have the ability to stand and you are allowed to walk, then the inference and the expectation is that the recovery should be a little faster because you're already using those walking muscles um, from the time of surgery. Now, a, a point to be made is just because you can walk doesn't mean you will because mm -hmm. you may just be a little sore, a little uncomfortable or a little bit hesitant or nervous or your balance is off. So even with the weight bearing nail, our patients were for at least a few weeks using some form of walking aid. It may have just been a cane or a single crutch. They may have used a walker just because what if they trip and fall? They know they're much more stable and safe surrounding themselves by some sort of cage, but they have the ability to walk. They yeah. can stand. And that's really, that, that's a boon. So I don't know. I have, it's not really an announcement, but I have some proposed timeline for the max. Do you want me to talk about this now or do you want to save it for the next, for the segment? I mean, I mean, I know there's going to be a segment later, but uh, yeah, you can go ahead and fill in us in so, now. So we don't have firm date. We know it will be Q124. Uh, Q is a quarter. So January, February, March, that that's the, you know, the narrowed window is now January, February, March of 2024. And uh, when I was discussing this with Dror, he said not to be punny, but when we have a precise date, we will tell you when the precise max will come out. It, it will be the shot heard around the world. You'll probably be the second per person to know it, Victor, then everybody <laughs> yeah. will know it. Um, so so a, a thing to think about is let's say it really make up January 19th and just make, mm -hmm. making up a date. That'd be March 20th. And you're really in your life where, boy, my life would be so much better logistically if I could do this now, then do it now. Because by the time March rolls around, you're already being recovery and, and getting over it. That's easier said than done because I'm not the person who's going to be on the other end of it. But the reality is we have implanted thousands yeah. of precise 2.2 and you will get the same result. So I can't make the decision for you, but but that's... That's my two cents on it. Yeah, I was just talking to a patient today who was kind of, you know, confused which path to go. Should I wait for the precise max with, you know, Paley or should I, you know, just go for the precise 2.2? And I said, hey, man, I, I can't tell you what to do. But I was like, look, we, we don't know for sure when this thing will come out. It's like, yes, quarter one. But if you get it done now or sooner, you could be done by then. Right. But uh, and, and what, if what if it's March 28th, you know, the end of, <laughs> and, and what if it changes, right? Until it's actually in my hand and I can look at it and implant it inside of you. <laughs> it's nice to have expectations, right? We're, we're, we're all trained for this. You hope for the best and you plan for the worst. So yeah. I will keep using 2.2, uh, whether we have the max or not, because some patients it will just fit or it's the appropriate nail or it's not for stature lengthening or whatever the reasons are. So mm -hmm. max is another tool in my toolbox, but I can get the job done with what I have. There's no need to wait if that's if that's another way to say this. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no, and we're going to definitely be talking about that throughout the night for those who join later. But uh, next up, Dr. Robbins, I actually want to talk about delayed union. You know, it's a concern for some patients. Um, what role does bone stimulators play in promoting bone health or healing in you know such cases? And can you explain the difference between like lipus or low post and uh, yeah. like you know and and also PEMF? Yeah. So so I'm going to turn your question on its head and say, why would you get to the point where you need to use a bone stimulator? This is a slow process and lengthening occurs in small increments every day. There should be no surprise after a few weeks how this individual person's bone is healing. And again, I can only speak to the Paley Institute and how we do it and our patients can confirm, but I personally will see you every two weeks and I will get x-rays on you every two weeks or sooner if needed. And I will review them and I will look at your lengthening. Have you lengthened as much as you were supposed to? Your expected lengthening based on what the machine is telling you and what you think you've done. Are you lengthening symmetrically? Do both sides equal each other? And how is your bone quality? And we will quite literally look at the front and side views of your entire bone and talk about your bone healing, the person sitting in front of me at that time. And I'll tell you, based on what I see, X, Y, Z, you look great, continue your current rate. Or you know what? Your bone isn't as nice as I want it to be. And if we keep adding length, it's going to take you longer to heal. We may slow you down. Bone, bone stimulator in stature world, as opposed to in post-traumatic uh, congenital, like what you had, different game. So in, in stature world, in our institute, we have access to bone stimulators. This is not through insurance. This is cash price. And if patients desire them, they can purchase it. We get nothing out of this. This is between you and, and the manufacturer. And you're welcome to use them. But a lot of people don't because most patients don't need them. Mm -hmm. And nobody has yet said, let me do an experiment. I'll only use it on my left side, but not my right. <laughs> but, right. So and then the other way of sort of answering your question with, with a different question, different thought is how often are we, Paleo Institute, needing to surgically intervene to mm -hmm. get a bone to heal? And in you know, nine years that I've been doing this with Drawer, I'm sure it's happened and I'm not thinking of the person. But that's how rare it is in the wow. thousands, not all in the stature, but in the cases you do, because we see you in person every two weeks. And I look at your x-rays. And if you're having a problem, we recognize it early and we make adjustments for you and your safety yeah. and your health. So hopefully you never get to the point where you need to use these things. So to make it simple, I have no objection using them. I've never mm -hmm. had a patient heal so fast, they prematurely consolidate using one. Mm -hmm. So that's good so if you have one or access to one great uh what's the difference between uh exogen which you have pictured or the other ones uh yeah. we use exogen because the nail's in the way mm -hmm. i don't want to get into much of the science of it uh, okay. there's certainly no harm there's potential benefit uh but again the way we do it they're not needed routinely at all because we want you to make the best bone you can and we're not yeah. going to let you lengthen until your bone is unhealthy yeah, I guess that just comes with experience. A lot of people I've heard that they have to use these. It just might be the surgeon just doesn't know. They're not experienced enough to know when not to use them. So very cool. Uh, and then the third, you know, technology that I want to talk about is muscle recovery. Now I've come across this company called Cypher Skin uh, in the last year, and it's kind of a biometric sensor sleeve that is slipped onto either the leg, the arm, or some sort of joint. And it yeah. kind of senses like how much flexibility range of motion that joint has and how it progressively improves or doesn't improve over time. And I wanted to kind of see if this is something that perhaps the Paleo Institute and the Rehab Center might be looking into to possibly kind of, you know, assist with the rehabilitation after limb lengthening. 
Sure. Well, I kind of feel like you just hit me with a little curveball because I, yeah. <laughs> I heard about this and I didn't know this. So my brain is spinning as I'm reading this going, what is that? <laughs> so it's interesting when you start saying it's measuring and giving feedback, I'm instantly thinking, wow, what a fantastic thing because mm -hmm. you're getting true quantitative analysis on, you know, whatever these various metrics are. So mm -hmm. why not? You know, okay. hey, if you work for this company, send me information. I'm happy to read <laughs> and, and let's talk because, right, we're always trying to get better. So mm -hmm. why are we so good? Because of the, the protocols we have, because we're a purpose-built institution, whether it's for pediatric limb reconstruction or post-traumatic or stature lengthening, you know, whatever okay. it is, we're purpose-built for all of these things, infrastructure from admins to schedulers to clinic follow-up to x-ray protocols. We, we have mm -hmm. it all. So if our therapists are so good because they see you every day and they're the front line evaluating you, well, if they can measure how you were on Monday and how you are on Friday, not just with their eye and not just with the ruler, but maybe there's even a better way to get information, then why not? We, okay. we are, we, we've sort of made our career pushing things and moving forward with technology and thought. So why not? So That's awesome. Um, yeah. Very cool. Happy to learn about it. Um, <laughs> but because I got to give ourselves a little props. We've, we're doing pretty good without it. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean we certainly can't do better. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're also looking for ways to improve and make the patient experience better. And then from, a, from another point of view is it actually, as I'm thinking more about it, it's actually even more engaging from the patient point of view. Because mm -hmm. right, so I'm the therapist and I'm measuring in your 42 degrees. And then I measure on a Friday and you're 44 degrees. Yeah. And you know, whether that's better or worse, who knows? But I'm excited as a the therapist because I'm seeing improvement. But mm -hmm. if you're the patient and you're watching with your eyes as this thing is moving and you're seeing the green and the red lights do their thing, that's sort of <laughs> engaging you too. So right. why not? It, it's sort of like your know, biofeedback. Maybe you yeah. have something on at home and, and you're able to gauge. So I'm really very interested in this. Awesome, man. I just gave him a big, uh, you know, a prop right there. Here's Hopefully, they can... Yeah, I know, right? I have to investigate it. Yeah. Cypher scan, you owe me money. No, I'm yeah, right? <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right. All right, guys. So now we've done, we talked about the technology. Now I want to get into techniques and tips and actually, you know, surgical approaches. So Dr. Robbins, we have a list of uh, different, you know, topics that I want to kind of bust sure. through here. So we're going to go through number one is IT band release um, to help avoid abduction or people call it wide legs. Um, you know, this has been done in most centers, but there are a few who don't do this for stature lengthening. Can you explain why it's important for doing for, let's say, femur lengthening? Yeah. So, so again, to, to quote drawer and drawer, if I'm misquoting you, I apologize, but in, in the congenital pediatric realms, right? That's not we're talking about a four-year-old kid born with a problem where their leg is inherently short from birth. Mm -hmm. And we're wanting to add length to that leg. There's a band of tissue in that leg that's in all of our legs as, as normal formed adults without congenital problems. And that band is called the IT band. And Jor will say in the congenital realm that the IT band, the iliotibial band, it, 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 it is a big detriment to lengthening. It, 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 uh, it makes, it's an inhibitor of lengthening. There's a very tight structure and it's so strong, it's very hard to lengthen against it. So in pediatric realm, we actually use that to reconstruct the ligaments and do things, but, but we will sometimes remove it entirely if we have lots of lengthening to do because we know it can be such an inhibitor for lengthening. It's just very strong. So kind of as an example, so I have a piece of paper and I can rip it very easily, but if I could get a clamp on and pull this way, it has tremendous tensile strength. 
Mm-hmm. So the IT band is very thin, but it is incredibly strong because of the tissue it's made of. So in our institution, if you are having a femur lengthening, we will, as part of your surgery, do an IT band release at the knee. So on the outside of the knee is where this is. It's about a four centimeter, three and a half centimeter, inch, inch and a quarter incision. Not only do we completely release the IT band, but we also take advantage and part of your hamstring muscles are there. We'll actually loosen the layer of connective tissue around the hamstring. It doesn't affect strength, doesn't weaken the muscle at all, but it's one more thing we can do to help you get your lengthening. It helps with the hamstring tightness and cutting the iliotibial band at the knee helps uh, allow the lengthening. So that band, that iliotibial band attaches on the side of your knee below the knee and it goes all the way up to your hip. Mm-hmm. Very rarely during our preoperative assessment, we find that not only is your iliotibial band so tight, we're going to release it at the knee. Mm-hmm. We're also going to do a second release up on the side of the hip. And we probably do that. Gosh, five to 10% is really a pretty low number. Um, patients then ask, but if it keeps me from getting duck ass or if it keeps me from getting abduction, why don't we do it on everybody? Because even though we may kind of be lighthearted about some of these conversations and we talk about it, it's simple to just lengthen the bone. Let's be very clear. This is a dangerous game we're involved in and making somebody taller who is an intact, fully functioning human being with no orthopedic issues is not to be taken lightly. And we'll get into a little bit about the psychosocial aspects about this, I'm sure. But Mm -hmm. let's, let's be clear. Surgery is surgery and there are risks for everything. And why do unnecessary surgery? So IT band we found is necessary for femur lengthening at the knee and everybody gets that. But we're not going to just willy nilly go do the release up at the hip just because it may make your lengthening better because that's a more involved thing. There's, there's potentials for problems. So we don't think we don't do things you don't need. Okay. We do things you do need. But how do I know if you're getting tight? Because you're in Florida with us. You're <laughs> seeing a therapist five days a week. And if you're having a problem, we'll get you in our clinic to see us immediately for an evaluation. So we don't let problems go out of control. Things happen slowly. And if you're vigilant and looking for them and you have the right infrastructure and people communicating with the same language, we recognize and jump on problems fast. It is far better to prevent a problem than to treat one. Mm-hmm. But if problems exist, you have to know how to get out of the jam. And fortunately, we have the experience for treating problems, uh, most of which I'm happy to say are coming from other institutions. Um, but yeah, so roundabout way of saying everybody gets an iliotibial band release at the knee. Um, that's very important to uh, help with your life today. Okay, for very cool. Fevers. No. For femurs, yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. That makes sense. Um, now, the next thing, I get I get this question all the time, and it's about which size nail am I going to need for my lengthening and what yep. weight-bearing capacity will I have for that? Yep. So how does a surgeon kind of measure the diameter of the canal of yep. the bone to kind of determine what nail size they need? So measuring the diameter of a bone on the outside part of the bone doesn't help us much okay. because the, the rod goes in the narrow, hollow part of the bone. So if you take a chicken bone, you get a chicken wing and you break it in half and look, it's a hollow tube that has a certain width of, I don't know, a half a centimeter, five or six millimeters. And then there's a relatively hollow part and that's the soft mushy bone where the bone marrow lives and and the Mm -hmm. fat inside the bone lives. So a bone is wider at the top and it's narrow in the middle and then it's wider down at the bottom. 
and the femur has a, has a longer skinny part than the tibia. The tibia is wider at the at the top. So we only need to remove the bone where it's the tightest in the middle. Some patients we can look very clearly on the X-ray, and I can measure the vast majority of your canal is this. I'll make up a number: twelve millimeters. And then there's just a very short segment where it's 10 millimeters. And then for the rest is 12 or more. Well, I only have to remove a small amount of bone along that length. So that's less bone being removed. But some patients have a very narrow canal along a very long length. And that means we have to remove a small amount of bone to get the rod in over a long length. So removing more bone. Well, eventually the rod's going to come out. Is there enough bone left for them to have a sound intact bone to run, jump, play, and do other things? So sometimes it's easy to know before surgery, you're going to have no problem with the biggest diameter nail we have. Sometimes it's, boy, it's going to be tight getting the smallest nail in. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, sometimes we have an idea before surgery. Mm-hmm. But we always have the ability to make the intraoperative decision. So the surgery from a technical point of view, all orthopedic surgeons are trained to put a rod in a broken bone. You can certainly put a rod in an intact bone. But mm-hmm. we have tips and tricks and things we do to try to minimize problems such as the fat embolism. We do things to help stimulate bone healing. But this isn't robotic where 42 kilogram patient, 10 millimeter wide bone gets nail <laughs> A you have to think too, and you have to get feedback during surgery and make decisions as you go. So uh, this isn't monkey robot surgery. These are serious surgical techniques, and we have the wisdom and experience to make intraoperative decisions based on your bone, the person I'm operating on right now. What I did for the other person next door is wonderful and great, but now I'm focused on you, and I'm going to adapt the rod you get to the safest one that will fit inside you. Wow, it's kind of like flipping a coin and say, I pray I get the biggest nail, but not always the case. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about nail size again. So a bone, a a bone, whatever the bone is, just the way nature and things are and and the gravitational field we develop in, a Mm -hmm. bone has a length and a width, and a longer bone has a bigger width. Mm -hmm. By extension, our patients who are coming for stature lengthening are shorter than average typically, which means they're a shorter bone will be narrower. The flip side to that is if I'm operating on a patient who broke their leg in a motorcycle accident and they're six foot two, their bone will be longer, which means by definition it's wider. So I know they would take a larger nail. Well, if you were six foot two or whatever the height is, uh, you know, 185 centimeters, you probably wouldn't be having this. But, but the point is if you're four foot nine, you have a shorter bone, which means a narrower bone. And, mm-hmm. and that's where, uh, you know, we do our best guesstimate before surgery what rod we're going to use, but we really make the decision in the operating room based on how your bone is responding to what we're doing to it. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Have, have there been patients who have been below average height that gotten the biggest? Uh, uh, yeah, out? actually there have. And there are some, Yeah, I, I don't want to use the wrong terms, and I'm really trying not to offend anybody. There are databases of bone studies based on, excuse me, geologic areas. Wow. Uh, whether it's Asia, it's Indonesia, it's, it's wherever. So mm-hmm. there are certain uh, genetic, there's patients with certain gene pools who may have narrower water bones. Um, gotcha. But nowadays with worldwide travel and just because you were born in Mongolia or you're born in, in Kansas City doesn't mean your people for a thousand years didn't come from, you know, the, the steps uh, of middle Europe. <laughs> so um 
yeah, uh, taller people generally have wider bones is, is a safe thing to say, but there are regional differences. Uh, but again, that's why we get x-rays before surgery. Mm -hmm. and we have an in-person visit before your surgery so we can look at your x-rays and talk about what we're going to do for you, which I think is critical to have that in-person visit um, before we do surgery on you. Yeah, and not to delay too long here, but I know you guys also have the EOS x-ray machine. What's yeah. the difference between that and like just a typical long-standing x-ray? So nice thing about EOS is, is it's less radiation. Okay. And you stand in one place and it takes a front and side view. As opposed okay. to traditional x-rays, you stand in one position, then you turn position. Turn. But it's really, it's, it's pretty quick. It's less radiation. Um, and you can get good measurements for angles. And as the software is applied to it, you can actually get three-dimensional analysis of bone shapes as well. So it's, it's wow. pretty slick. That's a pretty uh, cool recent addition to us. We always had an EOS machine in our hospital base, but we now have one on site. Wow. Um, so we're actually looking at how we can do research on this to assess alignment and all sorts of things. So EOS, basically it's faster and less radiation. And you can okay. see the whole body head, head down as mm -hmm. opposed to just the legs or just the spine. Wow, so you can check out any potential deformities along the way yeah. too. Yeah, really exactly. Very yeah. cool. Awesome. So uh, Dr. Robbins, we're talking about primarily stature lengthening tonight, but you know, a lot of patients, they always wonder about proportions and measuring their bone lengths and seeing the tibia to the femur and all that stuff. So what's the, where do you really, I know we don't have a picture of a tibia and a femur here, but like, where is the right place to measure or is it properly just to use an x-ray and go from there? Let me just say this, you can measure it however you want. Your ratios are normal. Just, that, that, that's unless you have a known orthopedic condition or known genetic condition or, or you know you, you know it visually almost not almost a large proportion of our patients say i know my legs are out and, and they're really not the variation is is the length of your tibia is relative is about 80 percent of the length of your femur your tibia plus foot is about the same length as your femur so if you bend your knee, your hip, you know, the bottom of your hip is about where your foot is on the floor, you know, lever arms and, and me mechanics and things like that. So, so everybody's ratio is 78 to 82% plus or minus, we're talking millimeters. Mm. Another way of saying this is the amount of length you, most people are wishing to add three, four, seven, eight centimeters by definition, number A over number B your ratio will fall out of the normal range. Yeah. The, the ratio doesn't mean anything because it's an aesthetic thing. So I'm not going to tell you, Victor, you should have 6.4 centimeters. <laughs> I'm going to tell you first, you're going to start at one millimeter and we're going <laughs> to that's how you're doing. And I'll worry about your seventh centimeter and, and how your bones look after you get to six and a half. So, so you will have ample opportunity to look at yourself in a mirror every day and, and measure your height on the wall and measure your legs. However, you choose to analyze yourself and say, my legs are four centimeters taller, longer, and I'm now an inch and a half taller. And when I look down sitting in a chair, my knees are extended that much more. It's mm -hmm. not that often, but a patient will come in and say, I'm four and a half centimeters and my legs are starting to look a little bit long. I'm going to mm -hmm. stop. Great. Wonderful. Wow. You are by no means obligated to go for eight centimeters because <laughs> before surgery a year and a half ago, you thought that's what you wanted. If the nail went to nine, people would want nine. If it went to seven, they, they'd want seven. So, so you don't know what you don't know until you're going through it, but mm -hmm. a pretty good number, 20, 30%, I would say, if their goal is, is pretty set, will actually change it for various reasons. 
their bone is slow, their muscles are tight, they're not participating in therapy, they just want to mm. go home, there's a family emergency, you know, whatever the reasons are, um, well over 90% of our patients will reach the goal they want, yeah. but a good percentage moves their own goalpost. Yeah. We are so on top of you. If you're getting into trouble, we have things to do to help keep you on track because that's what you're seeing us for. You can go somewhere else and, and do whatever your thing is. But if you work hard and, and we follow you closely, we're going to help you get your goal. And pretty darn much everybody's going to get their goal, which is a pretty cool thing. That's definitely a very cool thing. I, I had that question asked, like, how, how many patients hit their goal? And I think it's, you know, at the really good experience clinics, so like you guys, it's over 90%, over, over 95% or higher. So, so, so Jor and I wrote the paper on this with the weight-bearing nail, and it came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And again, without getting too much into statistical analysis and, uh, and a limb-lengthening article, <laughs> how do you define success? Is it the goal they thought before they had surgery? Is it... Is it five millimeters is okay to be off of the gold or 10 millimeters? Like, where do you define a normal range? And it was actually hard to come up with it. So we define success as lengthening within one centimeter of your goal. Okay. It could have been eight millimeters. It could have been four millimeters. You know, at some point we had, had to prove a cutoff. Why a centimeter? Because there's a huge number of people running around right now with a centimeter or more leg length difference, and they don't even know it. Right. So, <laughs> so anyway, so I, I'm belaboring the point, but but you can lengthen uh, up to eight centimeters safely in the femur, uh, five centimeters potentially in the tibia. We will never guarantee length, but we will guarantee uh, we will do everything in our power to keep you safe and prevent you from getting into a place that you cannot recover from. Because awesome. what's the point of being taller if you're not back to your normal function? So we won't ever sacrifice function for length or let you sacrifice function or length. Because my job is yeah. to keep you safe because you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. That's why you're with us. Absolutely. Experience matters. Uh, actually, continuing on with proportions here for number four, it's actually about talking about, I get this also a lot, it's about skewed limb length proportions on joint health. So let's say that a patient just comes in, they do achieve the eight centimeters in length on their femurs, and they get back to the gym and start squatting. Is this biomechanical skewedness going to affect their knee or hip joint? Yeah, so, so it's a great question. We don't have an answer. Um, as Jorah will say, because I heard him say it yesterday, uh, I've been doing this for 37 years and I haven't had a patient come back with a problem from it. Now, you know, we're, we're not doing, you know, biometric testing on somebody 37 years later, but in 37 years, I'm going to have hip and knee problems. And I haven't had lengthening surgery. So again, you ask me a very straightforward question and I'm giving you my politicized answer. But when I got, when I got into this part of stature lengthening with drawer, Really, so I've been with him for nine years, but probably about seven or six years ago, as the numbers started increasing, I'd be, I started doing this with him regularly as we do it now. And we had a patient who was you know, 55 years old, which 10 years ago, I was not 55. And, <laughs> and we were talking about his functional return because he had done lengthening, I think seven or eight centimeters in his femurs. And he was an, an avid runner, like a weekend warrior type. And he knew his 5K time, make up a number, 28 minutes, whatever it was. And a year and a half later, he comes for his removal. Hey, how's your 5K time? And he said, you know, I'm two to three minutes slower. And he said, but I'm also two years older and I will always be taller and I will not always be a runner. So I would gladly sacrifice 10% of performance ability to always be taller because I'm not here for stature lengthening because I don't run as fast as somebody. 
I'm here for stature lengthening because the way I perceive myself is related to my height being shorter. It's not to my athletic prowess. Right. So again, I'm answering your question with, with all kinds of no. words and talking around it. Um, but we don't have proof or people aren't reporting to us, but it's still relatively short term. You know, yeah. the, the vast majority of stature lengthening has been done with internal nails and probably more were done in the last five years than in the last 40 years combined. Yep. Diving into the numbers, that's probably a pretty accurate statement. And so we'll really know in a few decades. So yeah. we can ask our patients when we get them online, but these are some of the things we talk about. We don't know the long term. And would you be willing to sacrifice potential, you know, a little bit of arthritis or, or some problem 30 years down the road to affect your height? And, mm. and that's a pretty fair question because that's quite literally what you're asking. Yeah. If you go get a nose job or you have a breast augmentation or you have a facelift or you have liposuction, the chance of you being crippled and in a wheelchair is probably close to zero. And those mm. are called cosmetic surgeries. Yeah. Stature lengthening or limb lengthening surgery, cosmetic limb lengthening surgery is, is in the realm of a cosmetic augmenting procedure. And you have the potential, God hope it never happens, you know, God willing, that you could become crippled for whatever reason or in a wheelchair for a short period of time or forever. You walk into my clinic, the expectation is you walk out. But somebody somewhere is having a bad outcome, whether it's the fault of the surgeon or just one of those things that happens in life. But if it happens to you, it's 100 yeah. percent. So this is not, and, and now we're getting back into this. This is not to be taken lightly. This isn't something you do because you have time and money and you got it and you got three months off between jobs. Yeah. This is a really big thing. This isn't cosmetic surgery like your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad had when they were 50 to, to get the, their, their appearance. We are breaking bones in your body and asking them to stretch with the nerves and the blood vessels and the tissues and the skin and the muscles and then getting you back to where you were before. So it's in the realm of cosmetic surgery, but this is not cosmetic surgery that most people think of, like mm -hmm. tummy tuck, liposuction, facelift. They yeah. may be in the same name, but this is a very, very serious thing. And you really have to understand the potential risk. We may make it look easier. We may make it look simple. And the techniques are not that technically challenging, but it's because we do it a lot. And yeah. we know the things to try to prevent and look for. So cautionary tale, you really have to understand what you're getting yourself into, because if something bad happens, and statistically speaking, it's going to, to somebody, mm -hmm. and yeah. that's going to be a person who's a mother, a father, a, a husband, a wife, you know, that can be devastating. So you really have to understand 99% of the time, everything's great. 99.5% of the time, everything's great. But if it's not, there are consequences to this. And we, we don't take it lightly yeah. at all. Right. I, I, when you wake up and I talk to you and examine you the night after surgery and we're talking and everything's good, mm -hmm. that's when I relax for the day. Oh, and then okay. when I come in in the morning and I know you're still good and I'm not getting phone calls about concerns, I, I rest much better. Because, wow. Because this is serious business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that safety first, that's what matters so much. And it kind of brings up our next topic. And it's talking about inexperienced clinics, because just recently in one of my consultations, I've, I've actually a few of my consultations, I've heard about this. And that's point number five here, doing quadrilateral, quadrilateral limb lengthening on the same day with primarily uh, lengthening over the nail at some clinics that still use it as an obsolete method as I 
think. Um, I want to kind of get your thoughts on how risky this is, because we know that, you know, obviously there is something called fat embolism, which is a very risky complication yeah. that can happen with reaming of the yeah. bones. So can you talk about clinics that are doing this and the risk that patients face by going to these clinics that are doing this? Yeah. So, so I have no experience with doing quadrilateral lengthening on the same day with, with reaming bones um, for stature lengthening. So Dror tells a story. He had a patient and, and it, it, I think MD physician by training, maybe even anesthesiologist, like somebody who knows about these things. And he and Dror had the discussion. And I think as part of his case, they did medical imaging where they actually had a transducer down in the throat looking at the heart. And as they were reaming the bone, they were seeing how much fat there is and they're doing all the anesthesia things. And th this person successfully underwent quadrilateral, but there was fat being showered into the lung. So mm -hmm. there is some critical amount of fat from the reaming of the bones from the bone marrow that goes to the lungs that your, that your body just has a hard time processing. So in our practice, if we're doing quadrilateral, we do tibia first. We give you a two to three week, your body chance to recover. And then we do the femur lengthening. So why do we do tibia first? Because yeah. you have to bend the knee all the way to be able to get the rod in. And you lengthen slower. Uh, so it takes longer to get your length. So if you do tibias first and then you do your femurs, by the time your tibias are done, your femurs have caught up, usually for about a 10 centimeter lengthening combined, if, if that's your goal or you can get that far. So I have no experience with quadrilateral. Uh, if, if it works and they're doing it, it would be wonderful if they publish their work. Uh, mm. You know, if five patients a year have it, you know, maybe it's a statistical anomaly that no one had a fat embolism. But if one person does, if, if the sixth out of five does, you know, that's a 17% incidence, that's pretty yeah. darn high. So uh, if people are doing it and have good numbers, please share the knowledge because, you know, maybe, maybe we need to reevaluate, but doesn't seem safe to me, doesn't feel safe to me, uh, separating tibias and then femurs. It's nice to give your body a bit of a chance to recover. Just one surgery is hard enough to recover from. Imagine mm -hmm. having above and below the knee, doing the therapy. Maybe what does that save you? Two or three weeks in time? I'd rather have one recover from that pretty nicely and then have the other. Whether it's safer from a fat embolism point or not, it's mm -hmm. a lot of surgery to do on yeah. one day for, for no reason. <laughs> um, so, um, anyway, so that's, that's my feeling. I, I'm a believer in, in two bones reamed at a time. That's fair. That's definitely fair. Very cool. Keep it bilateral guys on the same day. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next point is actually, uh, and this is kind of my feeling on this, like using LON for cosmetic limb length or stature lengthening and, you know, some kind of still do the monolateral lengthening of the nail. I just feel like I've seen a lot of actual deviations, you know, knocking various and but not from this technique for, let's say, the tibia. What are your thoughts on this for stature lengthening as we go forward into the future with, you know, um, this procedure as it grows? I mean, it's getting becoming more popular. We know that. But what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Robbins? Well, so the, the first question is, why are they doing that? And the yeah. obvious answer is because they don't have access to the precise nail. Either it's cost prohibitive, it's not approved in their country, or they're just choosing not to. So Obviously, if you have the ability to do this all internal, we would want to do this all internal, less infection, less, less problems. So again, we don't do it. So I can't speak to the experience of other people. Um, Dr. Paley, I think, first published on lengthening over nail uh, in like 1991. So he knows a thing or two about it. And in the, the scope of practice and technological development, PS, who happens to be the lead surgeon designer of the Max, Dr. Paley, um, you know, 
Uh, 19 over an hour is great in the 90s, but here we are in, tw in 2023. But we have access to internal lengthening now, whether it's precise, nuvasive, or in another country, they have options for other things. So, so any technology, just because it's new and better, new doesn't mean it's better. Let's be very clear. If you are skilled and understand the principles, there's no reason why a lengthening over nail can't have wonderful results as expected with a little more discomfort from the fixator. But once the fixator comes off, you should be able to correct for axial deviations or whatever, or whatever other problems are happening. Uh, just becomes something new, just because something's newer doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Okay. I give a talk on, and I forget the, you know, how I worded it kind of some witty way of wording it is, Something that we do and, and you know, pay answers to what we do is look at existing technologies and techniques and say, how can I use that thing, but do something else with it that nobody else has done? Mm -hmm. And so you don't need a new widget. There's plenty of widgets out there. Maybe you need to have a new way to use an old widget. So and maybe that's what lengthening over nail is. But but, you know, to kind of be clear you have to know what you're doing to get into this. And yeah. so just because you can put a fixator on and you can put a nail in doesn't mean you're going to be a skilled lengthening over nail fixator surgeon. And these are fair questions to ask your surgeon. This isn't a paid promotional advertisement to come have stature lengthening at the Paley Institute. This is me and Victor talking about something we're passionate about. If you yeah. happen to come to us, great. But this is you hearing from me as an experienced surgeon, the things that go through my mind that you as a patient should consider and ask. If you come to me, that's great and wonderful. I hope you do. If you're going to go to somebody else, ask them these questions. Why are we doing lengthening over now? How are you going to prevent these problems? Can you show me the examples? What if you get into a problem? Have you had it before? How are you going to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Questions to ask me. So you know, ask your surgeon, whether it's limb lengthening or rhinoplasty or getting your cavity filled, you know, you <laughs> I empower you to be your own advocate and ask these questions to whoever's taking care of you for anything. Yeah, guys, take notes right there. I mean, that's a lot of you guys are asking me, how can you uh, find a good surgeon or a, more ex a very experienced surgeon? Use those, I guess, you know, screener questions when you're yeah. consulting with them to find out if they are experienced enough to take care of you. So, yeah. um, Dr. Robbins, the next question I have is a kind of a brief question. It's talking about flying after surgery. So some clinics will let you go home, you know, soon after surgery. Um, but how soon is too soon when you're you just had your legs broken yeah. for stature lengthening? So for our patients, the answer is you can fly home after you lengthen, which is is at least two to three months because our patients are getting three, four, eight centimeters depending on you know their circumstance and body part. So uh, would I have big giant surgery and get on a plane 10 days later with my legs broken? Probably not. First of all, how do I know I'm not going to go to my country of origin? And if I have a problem, who's going to manage me? Who am I going to go talk to? We had, we had a non-stature patient who had limb corrective surgery a couple of weeks ago and, and drove home a couple of hours and was having a problem. And he's calling me and I'm you know trying to talk him through. And I said, you know, come back and see me. I can't come see you till tomorrow. So he goes to the emergency room. And, and they don't know what he had. So I'm talking mm. on the phone to the emergency room provider, very knowledgeable person, but just knowledgeable, not knowledgeable about this. And, you know, he got, he got in the car and, and came and saw me today. So our patients are obligated to stay with us. We, we don't have the problem of them flying home too soon after surgery because they're weeks to months after surgery. That's surgery to break the bone and put the rods in. When you have removal surgery, most of our patients, if it's a car drive, local, they're driving home the same day. Okay. But if it's 
a couple hour flight. Maybe they're leaving the next day. If it's an international flight, maybe they're staying for a day or two. That's after removal. We're not breaking bones. We're not reading bones. There's no risk of fat embolism, you know. Um, so if you're going to fly after surgery, what are you going to do or who, who's going to manage you if you have a problem at home? How are you going to get in touch with your surgeon or someone on your care team to help you manage the problem? We just had a patient who had surgery at an outside institute. Uh, within a few days after surgery, the osteotomy site opened up. And within a few days later, you could see the nail through the distraction gap across the room. He was in the hospital for seven days and never saw his physician. He got on a plane, he came to us and, and, and we're taking care of him, but goodness gracious. Um, yeah. So if you're gonna fly, um, what are you gonna do to prevent getting a deep venous thrombosis? Mm -hmm. I personally wear uh, compression socks every day to work when I'm standing and I wear compression socks when I fly and I've never had surgery. Yeah. I take when I fly international. I'm 52 years old to, to die of a blood clot on a routine flight would just be sort of crazy. Um, so, so I worry about flying and I haven't had surgery. So, uh, there can be too soon. Uh, how soon is it? I don't know. Cause our patients aren't leaving. Yeah. Right. They're staying with you the whole time. Gotcha. All right. Uh, the next question is a pretty simple question. I think you might've even mentioned it before, but this is brought up again recently. It's about rotational deformity correction and doing limb lengthening at the same yeah. time. A lot of people may have some sort of rotation. They said, Hey, can I get this corrected or should I do it first? I have heard you say that you could possibly do it simultaneously. Yeah. So depending on where the rotational problem is, whether it's up at the hip, so your feet rotate in from the hip. So if my shoulder is my hip, if my hip rotates in, my knee rotates in and my foot rotates in. Mm -hmm. So if you walk with your feet pointed inward and your kneecap pointed inward, then that rotation is up at your hip. If you walk with your knee pointed straight, but your foot points out, then the rotation is somewhere in your tibia. So th there are extreme amounts where we don't want to do too much acute correction at once, but it is not that common that we do it, but certainly within, within pretty normal parameters, we can make rotational adjustments and angular adjustments. We can mm -hmm. rotate position of the feet, but we can also correct bow legs or knock knees at the same time, depending on where the deformity is. Um, if it's in the tibia and we're lengthening tibia, then we can correct the tibia deformity. If you're having femur lengthening, but the problem is in your tibia, we can't correct it because that's not where the problem is. So yes, it is problem to it is possible to do a correction of a deformity if it's in the bone you're doing, depending on where it is. It's safe to Great question. So like, let's say that they did want to lengthen the femurs, but the, the, they had bow legs in their tibia. What yeah. should they get the correction first? Because you're fearing like maybe yeah. some knee stress. Yeah. yeah. So we've had patients do it a couple of ways. We've had patients where they have no idea. They have a couple of degrees of bowing. It never bothered them. But when we're analyzing your x-rays, I'll say, look, you're a four degrees bowed. You're I'm bowed. I'm probably four or five degrees bowed. And it's never bothered mm -hmm. me a day in my life. My dad is much more than that never bothered him a day in his life. So we don't fix it just because it exists. We fix it if it's problematic, either yeah. functionally or, or cosmetically. If you're six feet tall and you have a five degree angulation in your bones, it's the same five degrees if you're five feet tall. But why <laughs> does it look worse if you're six feet tall? Because if I have a five degree angulation, if I have a five degree angulation between my hands, and my my bones are only gosh I can't get my face out of the way five degree <laughs> angulation my my hands are here but imagine now my legs are a foot longer yeah that five degrees looks much worse I see so so if the 
angular deformity is bothersome to you and it's in the area we're doing surgery, yes, we can we can certainly correct that at the same time too. Very cool. Very cool. That's going to be complicating your simple answer, your simple question. No, 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 not at all. I think it's going to be music to many patients' ears that have asked me about that. Can be corrected simultaneous with lengthening safely. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We'll clip that right there. Um, All right. And then the final technique and tip that I want to kind of ask about is nail insertion for both the femur and the tibia. So we know that for the femur, there's, you know, there's the piriformic entry um, and the trochanteric entry. So what do you guys uh, use for the surgical approach at the Paley Institute? And then if you can talk also about the starting point for the tibia. Yeah. So 99.5% we use uh, piriformis entry to the femur. Piriformis entry is what's existed since intramedullary nailing existed by Kuncher in Germany in the 40s. Um, uh, Piriformis nailing for us as stature lengthening surgeries is easier than for most surgeons because we are operating on people with an intact bone. Mm. And in general, we are operating on people who have a relatively average BMI, body mass index. They're not obese. Most nails placed in femurs are in broken femurs and trauma patients. And speaking from experience in trauma centers in the United States, a good portion of these patients have some amount of obesity or being overweight. Not judging their body habit is simply saying a larger leg is harder to operate on, especially if it's broken. It's easier to get a trochanteric starting point in a broken leg. It's easier to get a trochanteric starting point and a then a piriformis starting point in a larger patient. So our patients, by and large, are relatively thin and have intact bones. We take advantage of that and we do piriformis entry. It is right along the long axis of the bone. And our hands, uh, pretty straightforward to get the starting point. You're not doing as much reaming of the muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do piriformis. Gotcha. Very cool. And then, yeah. And then for the tibia, like avoiding, so some clinics, they, people have complained about axial deviations because of improper insertion of the nail in the tibia. Can you talk about that? So so tibia is tough. I mean, femur lengthening and tibia lengthening are both bone lengthening, but if you had to pick one, femur is the more straightforward one for many reasons. It heals faster. It lengthens faster. It's easier to rehab. Why is it easier to rehab? because the length of my leg below the knee is whatever, this long. That's a handlebar. That's a lever arm. That's a wrench I can use to work on getting my knee motion. Imagine I'm having lengthening of my tibia and my foot is only this long. That's my whole handlebar. That's my whole lever arm. That's my whole wrench to work on your ankle motion. If I have a big bolt that's stuck under my sink, I'm getting the longest wrench I have for lever arm and mechanical advantage. So so rehab after femurs in general is easier because you have a longer lever arm to do your therapy on. So tibias are tougher because of that. But also mm-hmm. the top of the tibia is shaped like a big giant triangle and the nail is only this big in it. And if the bone cut is very high, there's a lot of room for the nail to move. So we have techniques with the starting point. We have techniques with blocking screws. But even in the best hands, axial deviation or whatever you want to call it, angulation can occur. The mm-hmm. nail can bend. What if, the tib- what if the fibula bone, the small bone on the outside, heals so fast that every three quarters of a millimeter you lengthen the tibia, it has so much bone, it only lengthens a half a millimeter. Mm. Well, over a couple of weeks, that can start to cause deviation. They're not common when those things happen, but they can. So in general, if there's problems that are going to occur with deviations, they almost always occur below the knee. Fortunately, they're not that common, but... If you don't have 
surgery on the tibia, you can't have deviation in the tibia. So yeah, that's for sure. more reason, you know, femur is by and large what most patients opt for simply because most patients are pretty sure they want more than four to five centimeters. Um, so all things being equal, femur is the most common thing we do faster, easier, more, uh, more likely to get a, a higher length. Um, anyway, less potential complications. It's only two bones instead of four bones. Right. It's a little bit cheaper. You know, that, that's certainly something to consider. Um, so deviations can occur even in, even in the best of hands. What do you do about it if they do occur? Well, mm. um, you fix it. How do you fix it? <laughs> it depends on what the problem is. Do you fix it before the lengthening is over? Do you fix it at the time of a follow-up? And what prompted your question was, if someone has a bowing in the tibia, but they're lengthening their femur, would yeah. we correct the bowing of the tibia before or after? So what yeah. I generally tell people, if I show you something on your x-ray that you didn't know existed, it shouldn't suddenly start to bother you now. I'm 42 years old and you showed me I have a four degree Boeing. I know what my legs are doing. So you put a name to it, it doesn't change the way my legs are, right? So do your femur lengthening. I know you're coming back to me at some point in a year to get the rods out. If now for the last 364 days, it's been bothering you about your knees, you know what? When we take the rods out, we'll fix the angular problem. So that's, that's kind of a way I approach it. Again, we're not going to fix a problem because it exists. We fix a mm -hmm. problem because it bothers you functionally, psychologically, intellectually. We don't just fix it because it's there. We I have see. to have a rationale because there are risks to everything we do. We don't take these things lightly. Right. It's got to be symptomatic to make it make sense. Right. That makes sense. Okay, very cool. Well, that was an awesome discussion on the techniques and tips. Let's go ahead and move right along here. And we're going to go ahead and kick off our patient case section. That's right. This was a very popular section last year when we did it with Dr. Pilly, and we're going to do it with Dr. Robbins today. So we have two patient cases that were submitted. Um, the first patient case, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis and some of the symptoms that this patient was experiencing. And Dr. Robbins is going to do his best because he doesn't have the patient here to yep. kind of virtually diagnose this patient. So Okay. This was a female patient, bilateral tibial lengthening in September 2023, so just about a month ago, uh, experienced sciatica pain in the right leg two days post-op. A lumbar disc protrusion at L5 to S1, previously asymptomatic, was now identified. The surgeon attributes the pain to the protrusion and uh, epidural uh, that was used in surgery. Uh, the pain now shifts between the legs from the lumbar region to the feet. She can't sleep well. Uh, she's averaging only about three to four hours you know, sleep per night. Um, she used lots of painkillers, but now she's minimizing it. She stretches all day to keep mobility there, blood flow and whatnot. Um, she's lengthening at about less than, just about 0.8 millimeters per day. And um, she's a little taller, but she's, she says that her patient plea to Dr. Robbins is, is nerve pain a concern for limb lengthening? Will it resolve itself if so and when? Yeah. So obviously we're taking partial information. We don't have the patient to, to go into. My guess is that this patient probably had episode of pain in the back before, whether remembered or not, because it says disc protrusion that was previously asymptomatic. Well, how do you know it's previously asymptomatic? It meant you knew it was there. Why did you know it was there? Because you had symptoms at some point in the past. We're not judging the patient. There's nobody's fault here. We're just we're going with the information we have, and I have to kind of attack it that way. Right. So quick answer. Yes, nerve pain is a concern with limb lengthening. Most nerve pain is on the sensory nerves. It's a, well, by definition, if you're having pain, it's on the sensory nerve. Most nerve problems are on a sensory nerve. A sensory nerve is one that feels pain, pressure, touch, electric tingling, whatever, as opposed to a nerve that does strength or motion. 
So your brain to your spinal cord, your spinal cord to your nerves, different nerves do different functions. The nerve that makes me feel my thumb is a different nerve than the nerve that makes me move my thumb. Mm -hmm. So just because my thumb feels funny, my, my thumb can move or vice versa, whatever the permutation is. Same thing in the legs. So nerve pain or nerve irritation or feeling electricity or tingling, you know, 15, 20, 20% of patients will get that, but there's no weakness involved. Mm. Weakness, loss of nerve muscle strength or function is bad, is scary. Mm. That's a hard stop. Your lengthening is done until we get this under control. We had one patient in the last nine years who, I don't remember if it was femur or tibia, but got a little bit of weakness after, I think it was tibias after three to four centimeters and we heard stop. Drawer mm. said that is the second time in 30 years of any lengthening, not cosmetic stature, wow. that he got weakness associated with it. Yeah, we get a little numbness, we get a little tingling, we, we can talk about that. So weakness is a, is a hard stop. Now, if you think about it, the nerves go from your brain to your spinal cord and then from your spinal cord down to the tips of your toes. Mm -hmm. Whether you're lengthening tibias or femurs or both, that nerve is being stretched below the knee or above the knee, and that stretch goes from the tip of your toe all the way to where it is in the spinal cord. If you happen to have a protruded disc from 30 years ago playing rugby, or you're just 52 years old and the space in your spine and your nerve roots is a little bit is a little bit compromised, yeah, absolutely, those nerves can get irritated. So what are you going to do about it? Uh, who's going to recognize it? Who's going to take care of it? And Certainly appropriate stretching, appropriate therapy, appropriate rehab is very important. We happen to have, and we'll jump ahead to, to your later topic, at the Paley Institute, we have a tremendous cadre of surgical and non-surgical spine specialists, physiatrists, rehab doctors. We haven't had neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine surgeons, um, but we have a lot of people that, that can help us and we would work you up and do non-surgical things, whether that's imaging or therapy, steroid injections, whatever it is. So if you were having this problem with us, we would get our spine and back team on top of you to figure out what, to figure out what the problem is. So let's, let's take advantage of this and go to a little side section. Let's say you're, you're my age, you're 52 years old. Every now and then you have a little bit of back pain. Your, your height has been bothering you. You've been thinking about this for 10 years. You've been saving money. You have time off. The kids are taken care of in school. It's now time to take care of you and you want to do this, but you've had some problems in your back. What can you do to prepare yourself for surgery, prehab all day long? My mm -hmm. wife happens to be a physical therapist, so I hear all day long how physical therapy and core strength and all these are the best things in the world and, and you have to do it. And she's listening to me. She just snuck by to go to the closet as I'm talking to you. Uh, you hear her giggling in the background. But if you know you have a back problem or you know you have problems, this surgery is elective scheduled surgery. There is no surprise you're having this. Take three or four months to get a couple of pounds off, get back in the gym. And you don't need to go to the gym to do core strengthening, but strengthen your core, get some flexibility, get your body prepared for the onslaught of what you're about to do to it. So gotcha. we have like 10 different topics going. So let's go to your specific question. Is nerve pain a concern? Yes. Most of our patients who get nerve irritation or nerve problems, vast majority is a sensory nerve, tingling, numbness, whatever. We use a medication called Neurontin or Gabapentin. It has a very good safety profile. We started a very low dose. It has a super high ceiling. And the vast majority of our patients get very good, if not complete relief on a very manageable dose. You will take it for the whole time of lengthening. 
it's like a blood pressure pill. Even if you don't feel your blood pressure is high, once you're on it, you take it. Yeah. Not like a headache pill. Oh, I have a headache. I take my medicine and next week or tomorrow I don't. If we start you on this medication, you build up to the level that's working for you. You stay on it for the remainder of your lengthening. You stay on it for an extra week or two till your body starts to loosen up after you finish. And then you'll, you'll start to taper off. So we use it probably 20, 25% of our patients have it. And to my knowledge, all of these numb areas or these irritated areas completely come back to normal. Oh, and nice. the way I think about it is if you've ever chipped a tooth for the first week or two, all you can do is explore that chip in your tooth with your tongue and <laughs> things and you try to floss and it break, you know, so you get a chip in your tooth. But after a few weeks, your brain sort of erases that, that, that problem. So whether the numb spot, your brain is just sort of forgetting it was there mm-hmm. or the nerve itself is repairing itself or the outside nerves are coming to fill the defect or it's all of the above. When they come back a year and a half later to have the nails out, it's not a concern. So, but My therapists see you five days a week. I see you every 10 to 14 days. We're going to know it's there early and we're going to talk about it. It's not going to be a surprise three months later when you fly in for your follow-up. That's not how we do things at the Payton Institute. Right. You would know about it tomorrow if they had a problem today. So very cool. Uh, Her second question was, is it normal? So this is about flexibility. Is it only, is it normal to only have 90 degrees of knee flexion 17 days post-op? Yeah. So I'm presuming this patient's having femur surgery and some people get a lot of swelling. Some people don't get much swelling. But the amount of motion you have at 17 days in our institute, surgeries today, lengthening starts seven days later. And then so 17 days later, they would have about one centimeter of lengthening in a typical female patient. That 90 degrees, I have a feeling in the next two to three weeks, it's going to be up to like 110, 120. So uh, I, I, you're on my radar and I'm concerned, um, but, but someone's... But yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had one of your other patients come yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, it it's good to know. Maybe we have this bionic skin and we get ninety one degrees tomorrow. And we're <laughs> out, we're out, right. Uh, it's good to know. But again, uh, you're with us. We have good hard metrics. Where were you today? Where are you tomorrow? So we're following you. So a single point in time, ninety degrees, seventeen days post op. It doesn't make me worried. Now, if one goes to 120 and one only goes to 90 and one is very swollen and there's pain, you know, different story. But all yeah. things being equal at 17 days, you know, it's worth noting. But let, let's follow how you're doing in the next week. OK, very cool. Yeah, it could just be some swelling that needs to go down. All right. Uh, moving right along here. Uh, this is patient case number two, which I think is a little bit more severe. Uh, this patient has his, had his surgery um, abroad and he develop a case of axial deviation and malalignment. So just kind of going through the left side of the symptoms here, he had his procedure done on his tibia in late February of this year. Uh, he began lengthening in March. Tibia was r- naturally shorter than his other side. Okay. He gained 10 centimeters on his tibia somehow Not without complication. What's that? T- 10, like 10 on each? 10 centimeters on each. Oh my yeah. gosh. And now he said he had no complications except for alignment <laughs> issues, which <laughs> that is a complication. Um, now he had alignment problems in both legs. It, he noticed this in May or June of this okay. year. Um, his right leg developed varus and his left leg valgus, which I found out was called a windswept deformity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he sent x-rays and updates. We have them. We're going to go through them in a second. 
his doctor that he got it done with said that he should continue lengthening and fix the alignment later. So I think that may be a red flag, but we're going to continue on here. Uh, he finished lengthening in late July. Nails were nail hinges with hinges were installed with an external fixator. Uh, he started working on his alignment issues by mid August. The varus in his right leg was somewhat fixed. His left leg only 50% better. His x-rays showed that the tibial alignment was well out of, you know, alignment. Um, and the doctor said that the valgus was within normal range, despite some of the knee pain that he had. And his doctor just basically said, try to come back a year later. Um, and then possibly now he's suggesting that he gets an internal nail to help fix it. So he's Wait. seeking advice from the yeah. best in the world. Dr. Robbins, okay. what do you think? So there's a lot of ways to attack this, but, but, but first and foremost, so the accident deviation didn't happen overnight, right? Yeah. It was a gradual thing. And if you're having x-rays every two weeks, we're going to see it. So as, as I hope the patients will confirm, my belief is that during every clinic visit, we will review your previous x-rays because I don't want to know just where you are today. I don't want to know where you came from. So yeah. I hope my patients can confirm, not only do I think I do it, but I actually do it because it's important to know that's how you find subtle things. As you look at the first x-ray post-op and you look at the fourth one, oh yeah, there's something I missed because mm -hmm. small things happening every two weeks, you may not see, but if you look a month and two months back. So yeah. It, it had to have been there. Maybe it was just not noticed. So, an Elizarov device is the granddaddy of multiplanar deformity correction. Since the 1950s, this was created to fix every kind of deviation, axial, rotatory, angular. You got it on, fix it. So that's the first thing. I have no problems with the idea of saying you got your length, finish your rehab, switch to a rod because you know, the rod is straight. If you, if you put screws in the right place, you put the rod in. The, the problem is, I don't know if these pins were placed in such a way that putting the rod in is safe. What do I mean okay. by that? When you're doing lengthening over a nail, by definition, the nail is filling certain space in the bone. The wires and the pins don't touch where the rod is because the rod's there blocking that space. In this case, if there's no rod in the bone, probably those pins and wires are passing through the center where the rod would go. Oh. So theoretically, there's a risk of infection because those pins may have little small bacteria that are normally causing no problem. But when you take those pins out and put a rod down, a couple of bacteria survive and stick to the rod and maybe you get an infection. So mm -hmm. there is there's some research that says the longer a fixator was on and then you do a rod, the higher your chance of getting an infection. So I wouldn't have a problem recognizing, look, a problem happened. It's out of my skill set or wheelhouse at this point in time to fix it. Keep your motion. Let's get your bone healed. Let's get the fixator off. I hear you that you have knee pain. Come back. We'll re-break the bone. We'll put the straight rod in now that all the holes are healed. And it's a second surgery we weren't expecting. But you got your length. Hallelujah for that. And we'll get your leg straight. So the, all hope is not lost. Uh, maybe we would have done things differently. But recognizing the problem is important. Trying to prevent the problem is important. And then treating the problem as it's there. So, but 10 centimeters. In I know. Wow. I know. Well, he did mention to me um, on a consultation that he had to get a soft tissue release at the you know, gastrosoleus recession or Achilles. Yeah. So yeah, right. that was possible. Awesome. So, so when you when you loosen soft, if you do a soft tissue lengthening, there are different ways to do it. But once you get to the point where you need to do that, you need to stop because there can likely be permanent weakness as a result of that. 
So at the Paley Institute, we don't lengthen you to the point of soft tissue release below your knee and your tibia. Do the soft tissue release to continue lengthening. We stop you before you get to the point where surgery is going to make you better. Mm -hmm. Because if you have to have surgery to get better, then we're doing something wrong. We want you to regain your strength. I will not sacrifice your function or your recovery for length. You may want three or six centimeters. If you're at 4.2 and, and we've slowed you down and we've doubled up on your therapy and you're wearing your splints religiously and you are doing everything right, but your body is just saying, I'm done, mm -hmm. you're done. Yeah. Maybe we take a couple of days off. We take a week off. The bone isn't going to consolidate and we try again. I had a patient today who, who not a, not a stature patient. She has a, a dwarfing condition and she got lots and lots of centimeters in her tibias and we stopped for a week and she loosened up and did great. She did another few millimeters and wow. got tight again and we stopped her. And you know what? No harm, no foul. She safely achieved her goal, will not need surgery to recover. So yeah. there's lots of things, you know, 10 centimeters is, is a lot. Mm. Of course, it's too much. You need to soft tissue release surgery. Yeah. I, I'm more bothered by the need for soft tissue release than the actual deviation. Oh. Because the actual deviation can be fixed non-operatively if, if you adjust the fixator. Mm -hmm. Sur soft tissue release is surgery, and you may have permanent weakness from that. It doesn't make me happy. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, that's something and, definitely. And one final thing. I have no problem that surgeons in the world are doing stature lengthening with external fixators. They're readily available. They're relatively cheap compared to the price of the precise, but you have to know how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, one case in this surgeon's repertoire, I don't know, but all hope is not lost. Whoever this patient is, it may be a, a surgery you weren't planning on, but mm. you got your length recover. They will get your leg straight or come to me and I'll get your leg straight. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. All right. All right. We're going to move along to the submitted questions section here. And these are the patients that when I put this out there that Robbins was coming on today, you guys sent in your questions. And most of the questions were about the precise max. That's right. Yeah. So okay. question number one is when will the precise max be available? You mentioned this earlier, but there was a yeah. lot of people. Quarter one, quarter one, 2024. So sometime between January and March of 2024. Okay. When it becomes a known date precisely, we will announce a blast. Yeah. In fact, Dr. Pilly is going to probably come on for that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. going to tell you before. I'm going to hear about it from you. <laughs> yeah. going to DM me. Hey, I heard Max is coming down on, you know, whatever. I'm going, oh my God. Yeah. Right, right. All right. Uh, question number two was, uh, do you know what its weight bearing capacity be, capacity will be? Um, how can titanium hold up compared to the precise 2.2? Okay. What's the so, difference? So I have in front of me some information. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, what of this I, I can show. So I'll just say, so there are nail diameters of 10. So uh, we're talking about uh, tibia, what am I looking at here? Uh, tibia and femur. Mm -hmm. 10, these are all millimeters. 10, 11 and a half, 13, 14. Okay. Uh, and the, the weight bearing capacity for the 10 is 150 or 69 kilos for the 11.5 is 200 or 91 kilos for the 13 is 250 or 114 kilos and for the 14 is 250 or 114 kilos which which makes sense so again let's go back to what i was saying earlier if your body height is shorter your bone tends to be shorter and therefore mm -hmm. narrower so therefore the narrow now fits 
Right. If we equate body weight somehow related to height, in general, a taller patient is heavier. A taller patient, bigger bone, bigger nail holds more weight. Yeah. So put all this in perspective. The smallest diameter for the precise max is 10 millimeters, and that will hold 150 pounds, which is uh, 69 kilograms per leg. So okay. standing, you know, it's doubtful there is a 300-pound uh, person having stature lengthening, but each leg could hold 150 pounds. Yeah. So, uh, you know, could you walk? No, because the rod, it, it's not, maybe calling it a full weight bearing nail isn't the appropriate thing. Because if you weigh more than twice what the nail can do, you, you can't walk on it, you can stand yeah. on it. So the idea is this is a tool that allows you to bear more weight. If it's safely within the, and the manufacturer's recommendation, you'll be able to walk. The vast majority of our patients, based on past experience, the, small, the shorter patients are lighter weight. The larger the patients are bigger weight. The vast majority of our patients will be able to walk with this nail. So what can you do to prepare yourself for surgery? Yeah. Uh, if you weigh 200 pounds and you're five feet tall and you're probably going to get the 10-pound nail, do I think it's wise for you to lose 50 pounds in the next month to have surgery? I do not. Um, I think you have to ask yourself, based on your personal fitness level and your body habitus, God forbid we want to do the precise max, but it won't fit. Mm. And we, again, in our institute, there's not going to be a surprise. If we don't think it's going to fit, we're going to ask you, do you want us to put a rod in if it's not the precise max? If I'm not positive, I'm going to put in the precise max. Maybe you don't have surgery with us if you don't want the precise 2.2. Yeah. Imagine if you wake up and for whatever reason, we have to put a precise 2.2 in and you can't be full weight bearing. Do you have the strength in your arms? Yeah. Oh, did you forget to mention that you have rotator cuff pathology and you can't even do a push up? You, you assume you have the, the precise max. Surgery went perfect. You have the biggest rod they ever made in the history of the universe. But for whatever reason, your muscles are sore or you just intellectually can't put full weight for the first week or two. Do you have the ability to use crutches or a walker? Because you may need to, maybe for one day, but maybe for three months. Yeah. So, so what can you do? Sort of assess yourself. Do you have the upper body strength and 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 dexterity to use crutches or a walker? Because you may even need it just to get in and out of the car for two weeks. But yeah. if you can't do it, that's some prehab. That's some work you can do before surgery. Should you get fifty pounds off in a month? No. But if you look down and you got a little bit of tummy on you, maybe as part of your prehab conditioning before surgery, 15 or 20 pounds will come off in the next couple of months. That's pretty safe. A pound a week is pretty safe. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, definitely, guys. Like I said, getting strong before surgery. You don't have to stop completely. Just, you know, focus on flexibility a lot more, but keep those muscles strong. Very yep. cool. All right. Uh, the next question is, we've talked about the nail sizes. Um Patient kind of asks, are patients liable for precise max malfunction? Say that, you know, it just... We haven't had one yet. So let's be clear. The mechanism, the drive mechanism for precise max is the same as precise. Thousands of precise I've put in. The number of precise nails that I've had a true mechanical malfunction is so... I can think of maybe three and nine years out of thousands wow. of nails. It's that rare for there to be a mechanical malfunction. If the malfunction is due to the fault of the nail, you know, if you come in and two of the screws are broken and your and your three centimeters has collapsed, 
Mm-hmm. That's not a nail break. You have to overload your screws to break two of them. So there's more to the story than you're saying. If you fall down the stairs and break your leg, it's unfortunate, it's terrible, but that's not the precise Max's fault that that happened. So, so the nail doesn't exist yet, so I can't answer that question. But if there's a true malfunction, you will not be liable in the very rare instances where a precise nail malfunction, uh, there was not a, in the Paley Institute, there was not a charge to the patient to, re- to replace that nail. It's a surgery and it's unfortunate. Um, I have donated my surgical time for uh, a handful of patients to have had to have unplanned surgeries. I charge no fee um, depending on whatever the circumstance. Now, segue, there can be problems and complications that happen after lengthening surgery, whether we, we, whether we expect them to happen or not. And so we tell our patients that you should have some cash reserve in the event one of these rare things happens, uh, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever they may be. Um, right. But again, try to prevent a complication. Uh, you can't prevent a nail malfunction. I'm getting a little right. bit off topic. Um, but you know, if the nail is truly not working, um, yeah, I don't think you'll be liable for that. Very cool. But yeah, guys, like I told you way back when in the video, I said keep a complication fund just in case. You never know. Um, yeah, so we actually kind of answered number five before about the advantages of a weight-bearing nail versus not for stature lengthening. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the page two. Um, this is actually kind of like he was asking more sort of towards your patients. How many of your patients lengthened over 6.5 centimeters? And we're guessing the femur. Uh, yeah, yeah, so how many patients wanted 6.5? So I'm going to change that question because I feel like I have prerogative. <laughs> the way I interpret that is how many patients are getting more than five? You know, 6.5 is definitely more than five. If your goal truly, like you understand this process, you're three weeks into it and your goal is eight centimeters. If your goal is eight centimeters, there's a pretty darn good chance at the Pain Institute you're going to get your eight centimeters. Yeah. Why? Because every day your therapist is evaluating you. And if you're getting into problems early, I'm going to know about it. And we're going to talk about strategies. You got to stretch more at home. Maybe you pick up more therapy. Uh, if you're doing more formal therapy, you're, someone's got to pay for it. You're going to pay for that. But there's lots of things you can do. Maybe you have your sister come down and stretch you an extra hour a day, your brother, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom. Some You hire somebody. More stretching is more better. Um, mm-hmm. So I interpret that question as how many people are reaching a goal, even if it's a high goal, and the vast, vast, vast majority of patients are reaching their goal, whatever it may be. Wow, that's very cool. That's good to hear. Reassuring, definitely. Um, okay, so we kind of answered number two a little earlier about the ideal length for femurs. He yeah. said about eight centimeters max. Uh, number three is when to consider quadrilateral limb lengthening. So a lot of patients, prospective patients specifically, yeah. Yeah. they're always like, you know, I want to get five inches in height. They do this before the first surgery. But when is it realistic for a patient so, to consider the second surgery? I got you. Okay. So, so let's just take that statement and, and blow that up. God, do I want three inches or do I want five inches? I don't know. <laughs> the fact that you're just asking, not you, Victor, cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact if someone asked that patient, and I don't want to use the word flippant, but flippant, flippantly, should I do three or five inches? You're not understanding the process. You're not understanding what it actually takes to just get three inches. Let's be very clear. This isn't deciding to cut bangs or not. This isn't deciding to have a facelift during the lunchtime facelift. I know nothing about breast augmentation, but I'm sure whatever the volumes are, this isn't this size or this size. This isn't, you know, hair extensions or not. 
This is major surgery that should not be taken lightly. There is no such thing as maybe I'll do three inches, maybe I'll do five inches. It is an entire second round of bone cutting surgery to get more than three inches, however you want to look at 3.1, let's be technical. Eight centimeters is 3.1 inch. The max you could get is what the nail can do is eight centimeters. And let's say you're, you're fortunate enough to get eight centimeters safely and everything's great. You can't get more without doing another surgery. If for whatever reason, you know the risks, you understand this is a major undertaking and you just know in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, 10 centimeters or nine centimeters is my absolute minimum. I have the time now. I don't have time to come back next year. I can't do part of it now and come back. This is one and done because I have to go on with my life. And you know you need more than eight centimeters, then it's two surgeries. Okay. The question you then have to ask yourself is, do I want to do that combined at the same time with the maximum potential, hopefully of 10 centimeters? Or do I want to get the most I can on my femurs now and then come back and do tibias? And, and let's break those down cost, expense, risk for eight centimeters femurs versus cost, expense, risk versus two extra centimeters by including the tibias. Yeah. Ooh, twice the risk, twice the cost, twice the, you know, fill in the blank. I don't know. That's hard. Another way, right, because I'm blowing this up. Another way of thinking about it is what's the functional difference or what's the aesthetic appearance difference of eight in the femur versus some in the femur and some in the tibia. Mm -hmm. As if you do some in the femur, some in the tibia, in theory, you're keeping the leg proportions pretty close to normal. But remember what I said in the beginning, the proportions don't really matter. Right. Yeah. Everybody's coming to us with normal proportions. And if your proportions are off, so we had somebody who came in uh, yesterday or Monday and her proportion was 76% and 78 is normal. That equates to if her tibias were five millimeters longer, she would have normal proportions. Wow. Well, we're not lengthening five millimeters. We're lengthening eight centimeters or seven <laughs> centimeters. So that five millimeters means nothing. Does that make sense? Proportion is <laughs> just a number. So another way of looking at this is I can think of one patient. You know, again, we'll ask our patients who are not happy with the length they gain. Mm-hmm. Why? Because in our institute, I'm going to see you every two weeks. And I'm going to say to you and ask you, do you notice that you're taller? And Mm -hmm. as an aside, it usually takes between two and three centimeters where everybody says, oh, my gosh, I am absolutely taller. Whether, you know, an inch and a quarter, two or three. But that's about where almost everybody across the board is like, holy cow, I'm actually doing this. So I ask patients, do you look in the mirror and see your legs? When you sit down in a chair and you look at your legs, do you notice they're getting bigger? So it's in your mind. I don't want it to be a surprise when you get to eight centimeters and you finally look at your knees and go, oh, my gosh, my legs are too long. <laughs> you know, we've had one patient I can think of who at the end of eight centimeters wanted his femurs to him look longer. So he did tibial lengthening. Oh, wow. It was his thing. But that's one in hundreds because right. we're going to always ask you and remind you. I'm going to help you get to your goal safely, but you have to know what your goal is. And the way you're going to know is you're going to look in the mirror every day and you're going to evaluate because the aesthetic part, some people want very long femurs. Some people Mm -hmm. want very long tibias that, that that's a key part, but that's your personal part. 
Absolutely. So, and, and I tell them all the time, I say, hey, guys, it's not about the numbers because numbers yeah. don't really matter. I say it's about an aesthetic appearance and, you know, how you look on site. How do people see you, perceive you in public? So that's 100 percent what it is. And the reality is, and again, we can ask our patients because I because I get the benefit of seeing you before you go. And then I see mm -hmm. you a year, year and a half later when you come back and I ask the same kind of questions. Are you happy you did it? Yes. Would you do it again? Yes. You know, yeah. would you recommend it to a friend? Yet your vast majority, everyone's very happy with the decision that they made. And I asked, did anybody notice? Well, yeah. the first couple of months while you're learning to walk better, yes. But a lot of patients, most patients will choose to do this between jobs, between moves. They sort of have logistically decided how they're going to keep this from their friends. So when they reintroduce themselves yeah. as a taller person, you know, oh, where have you been? Like, they don't notice. Um but I have not yet had anybody say to me, somebody asked me on the subway, did you have femur lengthening? Because your femur is like, it's never happened. You know, as it becomes more common, who knows, maybe people start noticing, I don't know. I, I, I've seen two of my patients in public, but I recognize them by their face, not mm. that I thought they were walking awkwardly or they had some weird disproportion. But I also haven't lengthened somebody's tibia's 10 centimeters. I think I would notice that from across the room. Yeah. Um, because we had a patient who had 11 in his tibias, developed huge valgus, open infections on both sides, and we got him fixed, cleared the infection, got his leg straight, but he's 11 centimeters taller and he looked like he was on stilts. But he was so happy. Mm. He want, he knew what he was doing and he got his 11 centimeters elsewhere. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you definitely did. You definitely hammered it home. That was awesome. But yeah, real quick on that same point. I actually want to talk, talk to one of your patients here. We'll do that yeah. briefly. Uh, Brett, you are on the show. You've been on the show many, many times. You're actually one of Dr. Robbins and Dr. Paley's patients. So you actually got quadrilateral lengthening done. Many patients know you. You're a fan favorite here. So can you actually uh, talk about that point number three, uh, getting quadrilateral lengthening, talking about the proportions and how you feel now? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, going to the Paley Institute, this was all a very new process for me. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, cool. Uh, a very new process for me, um, but obviously they were very professional, went through what am I getting into, what am I doing. A uh, lot of knowledge because I did look into this many months in advance, of course, to try to learn, but it's learned a lot from them. Um, it's, it's all according to what you want. You know, I, I wanted to do quadrilateral. Um, as I told Dr. Robbins initially and Dr. Paley, I, I want to do eight and eight, you know, but, but Dr. Robbins was like, well, you need to do the four and four first, you know, before you even <laughs> think about that, you know, you gotta figure out. So, you know, I've gotten through the four and four now. And uh, I mean, it wasn't easy just to get four and four. So uh, he was definitely right about that. A lot of, endurance and do two things but uh it's according to what you want you know you have to decide for yourself and he will tell you what you're getting into and and you got to be prepared to go through it mentally and physically awesome. now brett can we talk a little bit about like the proportions and how they look when you look in the mirror in the morning because you got it done four and four that's a really proportional interlimb ratio that you maintained how do you feel about your proportions uh, honestly i i think they're great i don't think i look that different i mean i don't really notice it looking weird or anything it feels very natural to me yeah so. yeah awesome are yeah you, yeah go ahead. Brett, are, are you gonna have second round of surgery that's my plan i'm trying to okay. do that here so fair enough it, it's going it's interesting to know. and then here's a question if you 
would there be any reason where you would want to do more than four and four, even if you knew you were going to come back, like to try to get nine total maybe or 10 total, and then maybe you wouldn't come back? Like, like how did you decide stop at four and four? Um, so my thought process was, I know the max I can get is eight and eight out of everything. And of course you guys make a stop at five in the tibia anyway. Um, so since my max is eight and eight, I went with four and four and I kind of wanted to use this as almost a test drive. Mm -hmm. so I want I wanted to see how I recover with the four and four. So I, I've been playing basketball. I've been playing sports. I've been running and everything's been great. So since everything's been great, now I want to go back and do the rest, but I don't, obviously I can't do more than the eight unless yeah. you give me a different nail. And I don't want to take the risk of that. I, I feel like since everything's inside of me, I mean, I mean, I know no surgery is easy, but yeah. it's all inside of me. And while it's all in me, I'm never going to have the chance to do this again. Cause when I get these taken out. I'm never dealing with this. Yeah. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and just to, to, to make it clear, we don't automatically stop you at five. Let, let's be very clear. It, it, how many patients doing quadrilateral have gotten more than five in the tibia? I'm sure it's happened. I honestly, I, I, I can think of one in the last nine years. Um, we don't arbitrarily stop you, but, but to your point, what you were saying is if you think you're coming back anyway, and very good chance, why do more than half the length? The problems typically don't start first, second, third, fourth centimeter. They typically start in the later centimeters. If you can only get eight total and you're having two surgeries, getting five now and three later doesn't save you anything. So yeah. stop at four. If you're doing tibia lengthening only and your bone quality is good and your alignment is good and you're happy and you can stay for longer, yeah, we'll, we'll go uh, till it's not safe to go anymore. The vast, vast majority, it's five or under. So just mm -hmm. to be a little bit semantic, we don't, we don't hard stop you arbitrarily. Um, yeah. But all of these go into the computer in your brain to decide what you're trying to do. So sorry mm -hmm. to jump over you there, Brett. Yeah, no, no. It's uh, all about safety. It's all about safety, guys. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. I your question. Yeah, you definitely did. But I actually have another uh, guy here that I want to take a different perspective from. Uh, Rio is here. Um, I think he's actually a new patient. He just had surgery done recently. Uh, Rio, welcome to the show, man. Can you hear us? Hey, man. How are you? I think is your audio on? I know this guy too. Can't yeah, hear him. yeah. Maybe he's gonna rejoin. He'll rejoin in a little bit. I wanted to get his perspective as a recent patient. Would he think about another limb segment? But we'll we'll come back to that later. Uh, Dr. Robbins, we're gonna pick up here for the last couple of uh, submitted questions. Sure. Um, this is about the mechanical nails. Some surgeons who are using this um, abroad, they're doing a one centimeter or probably 0.8 centimeters of intra-op lengthening with the clicking mechanism. Is this something why. that the nerves, what's that? You don't know why? What, why? I, I, I guess, I don't know if they're just testing the nail or what, but they say that they do this. Um, do you I know if the know. nerves can tolerate that much all at well, once? Uh, yeah, they, yes, they can. Okay. Um, but th that does a few things. One, if you want to prove the nail works, you don't need a centimeter to do it. Two, <laughs> two we do this thing called, the, so we test all the nails. Every nail, 100% of the nails, we test one millimeter. The bone breaks the, there's a certain displacement we test a nail one millimeter and, and leave that we don't reverse it back down okay. 
we wait a week till we start lengthening. We call that the latency period. And the idea is that during that week, your body has a broken bone and it doesn't care whether it was from falling out of a tree or hit by a motorcycle or, you know, basketball injury. Um, the bone is broken. The chemical mediators are there and the healing process starts. The whole point of pulling the bone apart in what was Codavia back in the 1890s in Chance and then Elizaroff in, in the 1950s is tricking the bone into healing, but then pulling it apart and then tricking yeah. the bone into healing and then pulling it apart. And that's what this distraction osteogenesis, bone healing, or distraction histiogenesis, all the tissue. You're tricking the bone into healing, but then you pull it apart so it can't join the gap. So if you pull it apart a full centimeter, you just kind of negated that. So mm. I, I don't understand the need. To, I don't understand why they do that. So <laughs> I don't have much more to say about that. Okay, very cool. All right, so we have Rio here. Hey, Rio, can you hear yeah. us now? Yeah, cool. I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. I can hear right. you now. Awesome, man. Great. Hi. So, welcome. Yes, welcome. Uh, you yesterday. Yes, Dr. Lovis, yes. Yeah. You're my favorite <laughs> doctor here. <laughs> yeah, well, we I'm just heard that you. on the forum tonight. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks welcome, for Welcome, man. So congratulations yeah. on your recent lengthening. Um, so how far into your lengthening are you? Exactly. So I'm doing a four segments at the same time, and okay. I reach a four centimeter for femurs and a, actually 3.9 for tibia. So literally like eight. Yeah, eight centimeters. Wow, you're centimeters really far That's yeah. incredible, man. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, now it feels great, but uh, post-surgery, so a little bit, you know, need to deal with the pains and rehabilitation, but all my, like, therapy supporting, as well as doctors, so I feel great now. Yeah, let's yep. be clear. So his surgery was the most recent, so it's very, it's very fresh on my mind. He, <laughs> he's had, he had a, a pretty good recovery. He is excellent with his therapy. Uh, and he works very hard. You know, same thing with Brett. You, know, you have to be invested in this product, not just the finances. It's time. It's money. It's mm -hmm. away from your family. You're losing your independence. You're eating hotel food. If you're not going to come here and be all in, then you probably shouldn't be doing this. And, and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. You, you put your yeah. work on hold. You put your life on hold. You put your relationships on hold. Your job is to be a limb lengthening patient. It's not to come down here on vacation and run your side hustle four hours a day on a laptop sitting in a chair. You're uh -huh. here for limb lengthening. And, 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 and all of these people, I think, can attest to that. Very cool. And we have another one of your patients here who's been on the show many, many times. SG, welcome back to the show, man. Hi, how are you guys? Good, man. It's so great to have you back. Now, we know that you came on throughout the summer talking about you wrapped up your lengthening, but you're still in that recovery process into the consolidation phase. Can talk a little bit about where you are? Yeah, sure. Actually, I'm uh, almost reaching the the eighth month of after surgery. I got my surgery in February, so I almost now I'm walking. Uh, still not a normal walking, but walking. <laughs> Um, I'm feeling every day better and better. Um, actually, I'm gaining the the endurance of the muscles because one thing I didn't <laughs> realize is that being three months in a wheelchair, you lost or your muscles get get atrophied. So when I start walking, I thought it will be easier, but not. <laughs> Um, but it's still better and better every day. I'm really happy with the results. And as everyone said in this in this show, it's a full commitment process. And I will add that it's not a three month commitment for me. And talking just about well, for me, it's like 
two years commitment to being the this, this same person as, as I was before. And I think I am the average person. I don't heal faster than anyone or, or um, but I, I, I heal as average as, as Dr. Robbins told me. So I think like the times I start like walking almost at the, at the six month. And well, here I am happy. Um, I reached the 6.5 centimeters. And actually, as Dr. Robbins said, I, I remember when I was in, in his, in his consultant um, room and he told me as I, if I feel uh, taller and for me that switch of, in my mind that one thing that I feel I felt short was like after I reached the five centimeter after that for me it was a life changer life changer surgery and now I don't feel short anymore uh, but it's full commitment it's, it's a serious procedure it involves pain <laughs> but after the results you you will be happy with the result that's and just awesome. I, I, I want to clarify something. So he's saying it's a two-year commitment. What he didn't say is that he runs a two-hour and forty-five-minute marathon, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So so let so let's be clear about a couple of things here. This will never make you a better athlete, right? We don't do this to make you a better basketball player, whatever. If you are a high-level athlete, we expect it's going to be two years for you to get back for a couple reasons. One, because there's just the recovery of the atrophy, but two. That's two years you haven't been running and you've probably been running since you were four years old, 30 miles a week. So I, I am so anxious to know because he's got a good metric, you know, a year, two years, three years from now, um, if he decides to keep running and doing those long distances, how his times are going to be. So, so uh, you know, anybody who's going to take the time and, and share their story, I think, has even more commitment to this. So I don't think anybody on this is one of our average people. I, I think you guys are all above and beyond the typical patient, uh, which is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your personal stories because you really put a face to this process. Victor and I can tie call back and forth about the logistics of it and, and who should do what, but here you guys are actually sharing your story and you're doing it. You did it a year and a half ago, you did it eight months ago, and you just did it a couple of weeks ago. It's, yep. it, it's kind of cool. It definitely is. And, and Dr. Robin, something that you may not know, a lot of these guys over the last couple of months have shared actual videos of their recovery. Like Brett shared his running video on the treadmill, on the sidewalk, looks incredible. Even Brett, I think you showed something of like you're playing basketball. Um, and then uh, SG showed some of him swimming. These guys are like, like really, really kicking it. it up. Yeah, they're doing it, man. So they're out there recovering, and it's looking great, and it's showing what you guys do there at the Paleo Institute. So it's incredible. All right, let's see here. So we do have one more page of submitted questions. I know we're going to try to get through these. There are only a couple of them, then we're going to get into the live Q&A. Okay. All right, guys. So uh, this is actually asking about when the Precise Max will be released yeah. in Europe, your European patients. No idea. No, I, can't, I can't even guess. Sorry. Guess. Next. Next question. Yeah. All right. Was there any clinical trial testing for the Precise Max uh, will there be any before the release? That's a good question. So I, I will have to let Drew answer that because he's on the design team and, and he's more, I, I am not involved in the design decisions or the FDA, the FDA approval process. So, you know, whatever the process is to test and nail and get approved to officially use it, that is being done currently, whether that's yeah. a clinical trial or whatever else the FDA deems is important. Yes, those things are being done. 
Absolutely. And and guys, just so you know, uh, like Dr. Robin says, Dr. Pilly is the chief surgeon on the design team. So if other clinics have said that they know something about it or, you know, they think that they know a little bit more about the nail, I wouldn't necessarily take that for fact. I would wait till Dr. Pilly comes on sometime when the nail release is about to happen because he will speak on it because he's the guy on the, the design team. So yeah, and it right. will have a limited release. Uh, and we're obviously going to be, I don't know if we'll be the only one, but one of the yeah. For one of the first centers. Oh no, he 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 actually emailed me. He said that you guys would be the first to implant. So there you go. Okay. Yep. So all right, and then the final one is: uh, should a patient, get, I guess, pretty much see some patients get the precise max before yeah. they get themselves? So we can ask our three patients here. We we have a nice <laughs> representative. If you could be the first patient to get it, would you get it? And I'm guessing, 85 out of 100 of our patients would sign up to be the first patient um, to get it. Uh, there are a small number here who say, you know, I'd let them put 50 or 100 or 200 in before, but it's the same drive mechanism. So the expectation is there, there's not going to be a problem. The reason the other weight bearing nail by this company was recalled had nothing to do with the working mechanism and had to do with the metal. Mm. This metal of the max is the same metal as precise 2.2. There's just a little bit more of it. Yeah. So, so it's the same mechanism. The expectation is that it works exactly the same and there's no differences except you can put more weight on it, more metal made, made it stronger. So, uh, okay. um, yeah. That's very cool. That's very cool. So it's the same type of metal, titanium, and uh, same result probably. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, so before we go into the live QA, I actually want to, I mean, we do this for all the clinics that come on here. So uh, the Paley Institute, I uh, just want to kind of ask Dr. Robbins. He works there every single day with all these other, I think it's like, was it 23? I, I, I just counted. I don't even know. <laughs> Like, when, it was, when I joined on June 1st, 2014, so I was nine years in practice, and then and then I, I came to George Hamey in 05, uh, and then I came and joined him. Uh, it was two of us. Yeah, that's it. Just two. And now there's multiplied oh, yeah. to like 24. It's crazy. It's but uh, yeah, what's, what's, what's happening at the Paley Institute? Anything new? What are you guys uh, expanding on? Yeah. Or? So, so it, it's, it's what we do, but on a bigger scale. So- Drawer and I, um, we do congenital, we do adult, we do post-traumatic, we, um, we do stature lengthening. Um, but those aren't the only things that exist in orthopedics. There are people who do joint replacement. There are people who do arthroscopy. There are people who do sports, foot and ankle, hand, spine, non-operative spine, uh, whatever it is. Uh, we got all of them. It is such a cool group of people. And not just the clinicians, right? So you know, the pilot on the airplane, hey, this is Jane and I'm your pilot and that's great. And everybody, oh, Jane, thank you for flying us. But the ground crew's part of the thing and the ticket mm -hmm. agents are part of the thing and the baggage people are part of the thing. It's just the pilot or the astronaut or the quarterback or the surgeon sort of gets gets the praise because we may be the face of the team, which is nice, but all the weight and responsibility comes on our shoulders too. But we're good at what we do because of the team we have. And I can't say that enough. On, on the call with us are Angelique and Lena, and these three guys can tell you they've probably talked to them hours. Well, Lena's newer with our team for stature, but Angelique, everybody knows Angelique. She spends hours and hours and hours answering questions, and and as I know is true, but she'd never complain answering the same questions over and over. <laughs> she, they never complain about anything. It's amazing. So our team isn't just the surgeons. We are as good as we are because of the team we have our mm -hmm. admins, our schedulers, our x-ray techs, our surgical techs, our OR techs, our product representatives. We surround ourselves with greatness and everybody rises to the task and it's really great. But but what makes this work yeah. is physical therapist and not just yeah. because my wife is in the background. Uh, it really <laughs> is. 
even, even a patient who's not wanting to be that helpful for themselves in the beginning, and even with uh, a surgery, you know, let's say it could have been a 98.6 and it was a 98.4, whatever that scale means, you know, with good therapy, a lot can be overcome. The therapy, the therapy, the therapy. And that's why we have you stay with us. We are protocol driven from how we do the procedures. We are protocol driven from how we do the x-rays. We are protocol driven from how we do the therapy. Why protocols? Because they're proven and they work. We, we adjust them over time and experience. But if I know the protocol for therapy and a therapist calls me, I know we're on the same page. If a therapist calls a physician assistant, they are on the same page. We all speak the same language. We are purpose built for you for stature lengthening. So that's kind of going to your number two. Why are yeah. we in the, in the world? Because this is what we do. We are built. We have infrastructure, people, protocols. It's what we do, and and that's all. You know, uh, a testament to the guy whose name is on the door. He he built this. He built this, and it's yeah. really pretty cool to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like you said, the surgeons that you guys have, they're growing team every single month. I see a new face pop up when I check the site. And then yeah, the physical therapists, I think you guys have a team of over 30 some physical therapists. Now too. I think it's more than that, including CPAs. I think we're way more than that. It is. <laughs> so we moved into a new building in the, in the last two years. There's therapists everywhere. <laughs> That's it's crazy. so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. So you guys will be definitely hit your goals easy. All right, cool. Now for number four, I was going to ask you, but I think it would just be better to just ask the patients that you have here. So uh, Brett, let's start with you. So when you were selecting a surgeon for your limb lengthening procedure, why did the Paley Institute stand out to you as the go-to clinic? Yeah. So, you know, I did a lot of research. Well, uh, honestly, one thing is they were a close, closer distance for me to drive there and everything. But, you know, Florida, I mean, it was when I did this, it was later in the year getting into December. So it was warmer and all of that. But uh, minus the logistics, um, just the track record. I mean, if you look up reviews on Dr. Paley, he's, you know, the best out there. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm like... Uh, Dr. Robbins said this was a very serious surgery I was doing, and I did two of them because I did tibia first and then uh, femur second. So, you know, you're getting put under anesthesia, you know, it's very serious what you're doing. Um, and I wanted to make sure to the best of my ability, I was trying not to let problems happen. So that was my choices for all that. And as far as going through the process, talking about the physical therapist, I like that there are so many physical therapists there. So I had the option to try different ones because with physical therapy there, there's a lot to it. Right. Um, Cause I had injured myself playing sports before, but this is very different. You're really stretching very hard every day and it's restarting every day from scratch. Um, and it's, it's not just the physical therapists, like some of their personalities might be better with you for some, with some, um, but also just maybe their techniques, like they all can do same things in different ways, right? So um, I like that I could try different ones and find the ones that really worked with me uh, with what I was going through. And and just learning the knowledge, they all have so much knowledge. So you learn from each one different things that you would never know to even try and do. Um, so yeah, the, the physical therapist, is the main part of when you're going through stretching your muscles and and the pain there so 
a major important part of this process. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's go now to uh, Rio. Rio, can you kind of tell us why you selected the Paleo Institute as your uh, limb lengthening clinic? Did he go to the bathroom? <laughs> let's go. Let's go to uh, SG. Are you still there, SG? Yeah, sure. Here I am. Well, I visit um, like three clinics or three hospitals in 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 the United States. I um, for me, well, yes, is the, the track record that the that the Pell Institute has. Also, for me, it was like a well, is a serious surgery. So, I I look at it as as investment in my life to feel like really good with my my body and how I have the perception of myself. So I need for me like the best option that I feel a place that I can feel secure, that I can feel comfortable. And as I went there, I like got a good feelings after the the consultation that I that I got. Also, it was that it includes the physical therapy, but for me it was very important actually because I'm from abroad. From, from from a port so road so I think that that was a plus for me that it was like all things in the same place so I don't have like to to do as that Robin said that just be a, a, a patient that has been all in in the process and I think all the the, the personnel all the staff and all of the surgeons like give guidance through the process I mean it's an unknown territory uh, this the thing you it's like every day it's something new so for me that guidance was like a really important thing uh, to choose the balance it's awesome very cool and rio are you back yet are you awake <laughs> <laughs> not yet all right we'll, we'll come back to you rio i know you probably fell asleep i'm <laughs> i'm taking forever so we'll move along but anyway uh dr robbins that was amazing so now number five i think this is cool we're gonna have dr pilly talk a lot about this too because he's expanding but you know about this a little bit so you guys have three locations right now that are in full force we have the west palm beach which is where everybody here is um but you also have the poland and now the abu dhabi clinic can you talk a little bit about them and are they doing uh taking uh stature lengthening patients yeah so i know some have done, been done in poland i'm not sure abu dhabi because abu dhabi is the newest angelique can jump in if she knows more about me um i have not operated in poland uh, or okay. abu dhabi so uh, i don't want to say anything wrong or confusing so I'm going to opt to table discussion of Poland and Abu Dhabi. Uh, you get it straight from the horse's mouth with Chor. Okay. Uh, I yep. can speak very clearly about West Palm Beach, but not the other. So I apologize. I don't have a good answer for you on that one. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have Dr. Pilly on in the next six weeks or so. Uh, very cool. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and see what we got next here. Yes. we. we uh... Yeah. Is that Lena? Lena, is that you? Hello, Lena? Yeah, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yes, uh, what were you me? saying? Yeah, I can hear you. What were you saying? I'm sorry. Hello? Yeah. We can hear you, Lena. Yeah, yeah. I say oh, we had one or two uh, surgeries in Abu Dhabi. You had two. Uh, you know what? That's actually true. Yeah, um, I actually know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yep, so there have been two patients there that had got done in Abu Dhabi. So very cool. That's awesome. They just opened up. I think if you guys check out uh, their Instagram, you can go scroll back and you can see like when they um, let down the drapes for the Abu Dhabi clinic. It looked really cool. So yeah, go check it out. <laughs> All right. Um, 
moving along. Finally, guys, this is episode 100 of Limitly Live. I know it's a long one, but that's what it's all about is jam-packed value-based knowledge. And that's what we have Dr. Robbins here for. So he is going to do a live Q&A right now with you guys in the chat. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually post the join link. So if you guys want to come on live and ask him vocally your questions, that'll be the easiest for those of you who are brave enough to ask a world-class surgeon your questions. But if you're not, I'll just pull them out of the chat slowly. So let yeah. me go ahead and do that now. But um, let's go ahead and pull the first question up in the chat just so we can get, get it. Yeah, I've, um, I've, been, I've been scrolling through. I have some, so someone asked, so it's all magnetic, no radiation. Uh, what yeah. sort of osteotomy? Uh, we do vent the canal. We drill we, through, through a quarter of an inch incision or a one centimeter incision uh, is how we do the bone cut. So we use a drill to make small holes, and then we use an osteotome. Okay. Um, what makes it weight-bearing if it's the same material? It's just the way they designed it. They made thicker walls. So... So the diameter in the nail, maybe they made the components smaller on the inside, but, but you know, we'll have to ask the engineers, but, but, they, but they made thicker walls, um, so it's stronger. Awesome. Um, what type of precautions do you have for pulmonary embolism, fat embolism, figure out? No, these are such rare things. Um, we assume everybody can get pulmonary embolism or fat embolism, and we do things to try to prevent them. But most importantly, we know they exist and we look for them. Uh, we did a study on this. And... If you look in the medical literature on fat embolism, most fat embolism is associated with patients who have huge trauma, car wrecks, motorcycle accidents, uh, because a lot of bones are broken. A lot of bone marrow with fat is released into the blood system. But they may also have bruised their lungs with broken ribs. So it's very hard to tease out um, fat embolism from an isolated surgery like this where there's not trauma involved. So we actually created our own criteria after reviewing lots and lots of patients. Um, so anyway, our incidence of some form of fat embolism is about 4%, but the vast majority of patients don't know they're having it. We know because we monitor you in the hospital with the little probe on your finger called a pulse oximeter. Mm -hmm. And whatever the numbers are, you may be sitting there eating, drinking, talking, don't even know your oxygen is slightly lower. So we treat you with oxygen and the vast, vast, vast majority of patients, an extra day, they get better on oxygen. We've had two patients get fat embolism syndrome, where the mm -hmm. fat overwhelms your body's ability to clear it, and they got critically ill, death store ill, intra, the, the ICU ill, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. Um, very, very, very sick. You can die from fat embolism. Um, both, we think, had an association with vaping that uh, wasn't very forthright. They both happened during COVID. Uh, so, it's, you know, these are such low number events. Statistically speaking, they may have been the two out of 10,000, you know. Um, so it's very scary. It's very real. Um, and what would I say about that? Absolutely. So, so, yeah, that, that's what you just answered. I just wanted to kind of pull it up there. But uh, this is the next question from Davidson. Um, he was saying, how feasible is it to do remote work while you're lengthening? How have other patients dealt with working remotely and so managing their we, we kind of talked about your job isn't to remote work. Your job is for stature lengthening. If you must sit in a chair to remote work, your hips are bent, your knees are bent. Let's assume your femur lengthening. Hip flexion contractures, knee flexion contractures are what happens with stature lengthening without sitting in a chair all day long. So why would you invite that on yourself? So the first few weeks, don't do it. Don't plan on it. Truly have somebody who can run your business for you. After the first few weeks, you'll know how you're doing and you'll know how you are with time management. Uh, 
can do you have enough time to stretch for a few hours then work some then do therapy for a few hours then then do work some uh it is feasible uh, can you guys hear the dogs in the background yeah. <laughs> that's so cool something's happening uh our, our dog and, and, and my in-laws dogs are here tonight um so yeah it is feasible but i but it's not ideal the, at least the first few weeks yeah have somebody else who can do the lion's share of decision making and work and after that you know if you got to work to make a living i i'm not judging you but but my evaluation of you has nothing to do with how much work you did it has to do with how your bone quality is how your motion is and my report from the physical therapist and if your therapy is suffering you may not hit your goal or we may slow you down or we, we do other things. So your job is to stature length and not work. But I certainly respect if you have to work, it is feasible. It is possible to do, but we have to find a happy medium. It's less likely to do it if you're doing quadrilateral lengthening. And we, we can ask Brett that. Do you think you could have worked three hours a day in between your lengthening sessions going to and from? Yeah, uh, probably easier to do with one segment lengthening than with two. Okay. What do you think, Brett? Um, so I'm, I'm a developer, so I work on a computer, but like he said, you, you can't sit up like at a desk and expect your legs to lengthen correctly and not be tight. So I kind of had to make sure I get up a lot and, and sit in certain ways so that my legs can be straight and not get too tight. Um, you'll, you'll feel it very quickly that they're getting too tight. Um, when you're working, but I, I think you can do it if you're like a developer or something like that, but, uh, it's, it's still pretty tough to balance that for sure. I had to work hard on that. So gotcha. What about USG working? And I worked like after the third week of the procedure, but like a 20% day. I mean, you also have a painkiller, so you are asleep and, and it's difficult and you have to have this straight leg so you can just feel like in a desk. So you have to be like in the, in the bed with your computer in your, in your, in your legs. It's not easy, but you can do it for me after the third week, after a month, I was working like 50% of the time. And I stay like that. I, I don't, I don't work a full a full time uh, for that three months I was in the, in the lengthening process because for me it wasn't possible. You have to to be like disciplined with uh, being in the in the in the PT, then get back, then have some calls, then also PT. And for me it was like forty minutes all the 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 exercises of PT four times a day. Okay, very cool. Yeah, no, that, that was very helpful for the hearing that. Okay. Uh, Dr. Robbins, this is uh, about the precise max. Do you know the price difference difference between that and the uh, so precise? So we difference? don't know yet, but the number we're using currently is $5,000 per nail. It may be more, it may be less. Uh, we do not make money on the nail. Whatever the price difference is will be passed on to the consumer. We're, we're saying budget for $5,000 more per nail when we have an actual number. If it's higher, it'll be more. If it's lower, it'll be less. Okay. Very cool. All right. Uh, this question, do an interview with the butcher doctor. Oh, sorry. Wrong question. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> my, my finger slipped. <laughs> All right. Um, this, this question is uh, from Prakash. He's saying, I had a stride femur lengthening in July of 2019. Stopped lengthening after six centimeters and consolidated. Now I want five centimeters more. Should I do six centimeters more on the femur for a total of 12 
or five centimeters on the tibia, tibia with a precise max? Thanks. Good question. So, so first things first, if those stride nails aren't out, you need to get them out. If they're not in, if they're not out, any lengthy nail that's been in too long. Uh, that's a, that's a really good question. I stopped after six. So 11 centimeters in the same bone is, is a lot. You know, my, my vote again, I don't know you, I don't know what, what you want to do. Um, my goal would be, uh, to do tibias next. Again, there's no guarantee just because you got six in the femurs doesn't mean you're going to get four or five in the tibias, but I just think 12 centimeters in one bone is a lot, is a lot. Now, that being said, let's talk about the ability to recover from that. A lot of our patients, the vast majority of our patients aren't having bilateral leg lengthening, which we call cosmetic satchel lengthening. They have a problem in their limb length discrepancy, maybe 20 centimeters or 25 centimeters. If you have a four-year hiatus between lengthening of six centimeters, your body has had more than ample time to recover. So if you wanted to, you absolutely could do six centimeters and recover, assuming all things are equal. There's not such thing as too much length in a leg over you know, a given enough long enough period of time so uh, my vote just all things being equal would be uh going for tibia yeah but definitely get that stride nail out <laughs> yeah all right this question from davidson he's asking how soon after surgery can one start walking in the pool is it allowable to walk in the pool with the 2.2 as part of rehab yeah pool pool is great whether it's formal therapy where someone sort of training you exercises or just getting the pool because it feels so darn good but it's when your incisions are healed so all things being equal it's about two weeks after surgery and getting in the pool is nice for a couple reasons, especially with the 2.2, because once you're up to your chest in the water, you're essentially buoyant, so you can put full body weight regardless of what nail you have. Secondly, the, the water pressure up at the top of the surface is low, but even at the bottom of a, of a three and a half foot pool where, you, where your feet are, excuse me, the water pressure will help with, with uh, helping the swelling. There's more pressure down by your ankles out. Thirdly, just walking through the pool is giving you fluid resistance, so it's getting your heart rate up. Uh, just walking through the pool is contracting your muscles, so you're getting good blood flow. Blood flow is tied to bone healing. Getting your muscles contracting with full weight bearing in the pool means you're, you're contracting your blood vessels, so your risk of blood clots goes down. Goes down. Uh, I love pool therapy. <laughs> I love being in the pool, whether it's formal therapy or not. So about two weeks when your incisions are healed. Okay. Very cool. Great. That's awesome. Good, great, great to hear. Um, so the so next the, question. Yeah, go the, ahead. The pools at the hotels there also have chair lifts that will drop you down in the water, which are really nice. So. Yeah, good. Thanks. See, practical advice from someone who's actually done it, right? Just because you, you're allowed to be in the pool, how do you physically get into it? Thank you for, for saying that. Absolutely, because it's yeah. It's like you have broken legs. How are you gonna get in the pool? Uh, Cor Cor says, "Hey, Dr. Robbins doesn't look a day over 40. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, it's all my Botox. Hey, no, no. That's Great there. That's the, that's the benefit of being a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have four kids. There, there's no time for taking care of me. <laughs> all right. Here's from Eman. Um, hey, I did four centimeters on my tibia. And ended up with bad equinus, especially with one foot where the talus bone rose up and the fibula hurts when I walk. Oof. It's at 30 degrees after a week of stopping lengthening. Do you think it will resolve? So, so obviously this wasn't done by us. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't let you get to 30 degrees and, and keep going. We would slow you down, stop you, more therapy, bracing, et cetera, whatever. Can't speak to that. The, the good news is we've had more than a handful of patients who have had more than five centimeters lengthening by whatever mechanism at an outside facility, they develop the clinus, and by the time they've come to us for their femurs or other surgery, it's recovered. So the expectation is 
assuming the bones are in the proper positions, which is a huge assumption because I don't know what he means or she means when they say the talus bone rolls up. So if it's just muscle contracture, it is possible. You just finished how long ago? Uh, um, uh, it's 30 degrees. After a week of stopping. Yeah, you just stopped a week ago. All hope is not lost. We're not rushing you to the operating room. Don't let anybody do soft tissue surgery on you yet. Give this. You can always do surgery, but you can't take the surgery back if you've done it too soon. So don't lengthen more. You know, again, I'm not your doctor. I'm not assuming care for you. I'm sure there's disclaimers, I should say. Uh, a lot of therapy, a lot of stretching, bracing, et cetera. Um, it's important. But that's just kind of showing us that's what kind of stuff happens if you're not in an institute where you're closely monitored, you have good protocols. And I don't think any of our three patients on here would ever let themselves get to the point, not because they're smarter, but they're more educated because they came to us and we told them, if you're getting a problem, it includes this. If yeah. you can't straighten your knee or move your ankle, you know it's a problem. You're going to be empowered to speak up and let me know so we can address it. You're not just going to show up a month later with a tight ankle. Well, nobody told me to say anything because our patients are very well educated. I hope. Let's let's query them. True yeah, or false? This could happen to any of you. Gosh, I hope you all say false. Yeah, Rio, let's actually ask you because uh, you, you just came back on. Um, you're currently lengthening right now at the Paleo Institute. Uh, have you had any issues? And if you did, did you kind of tell Dr. Robbins like ASAP? Rio, did you fall back asleep? Darn it. <laughs> Brett, Brett, go ahead and take that one. Well, I was just going to say, uh, once again, talk about the physical therapist. They won't let you get by with it either. They're going to notice it before yeah. either you don't. So they're going to tell on you and uh, make sure you're in good shape. So very cool. We're, we're, we're all we're all on team you, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're not tattling. It's not personal. We're trying to assure your time and money and, and angst are, are well spent to get the best results you can. I, I did actually have to stop lengthening. I think it was just a day or two during my process, but it was a huge help. And, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, honestly, I just missing the day. So Gotcha. Sorry, Rio, for waking you back up. I know it's tiring <laughs> going through LinkedIn, but hey, man, uh, can you hear us okay? I think the mic went off again. Yeah, he's sleeping. Can I get a syndesmotics removed by a good orthopedic doctor or do I have to go? So again, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your bones are. Don't get the screws removed until your bones are fully healed, because if you mm. get those screws removed and the bones aren't, the bones can shift out of place. So, um, yes, any orthopedic surgeon can remove any hardware. The question is, will he or she want to take you on as a patient? Um, but if your bone is fully healed, I, I take hardware out of people all the time that I've never put in, not just related to stature surgery. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, this question is saying, do you think that lengthening over 15% of your initial bone length uh, will, you know, uh, result without repercussions. Yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. Um, you know, so if someone's bone is 350 uh, millimeters and we do 80, what's 80 out of 350? Uh, 20%. Um, so it's it's not the percentage. We start at 0% and then we're at a half percent and then we're at 1% and then we're at 2%. So we don't go from 0 to 15%, even if that's your goal. So we go until your body fights back or, or, or we reach our goal or we reach the max of the hardware. So mm -hmm. I appreciate what the question trying to ask, but I, I don't think um, it, it, that particular question has a particular answer. So okay. gotcha. 
Rio, you look like you're popping back and forth. No? Try to come, come go off and come back on. I'll put you back on. It might be the audio issue. Um, Reaper saying, I have nothing to ask Dr. Robbins, but would just like to say I appreciate what he does. Thank you. There you go. Thank nice. You. All right. Uh, let's see here. So this one, uh, we've got a couple more questions in here, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, of course, it's saying, I've had tibia lengthening uh, three and a half centimeters on one side with the external fixator. It's been five months and still not consolidated. I've used BMAC uh, two weeks ago. Uh, is this a delayed union? What can I do for faster bone healing? So, so technically, to diagnose delayed union or non-union is is dependent on looking at X-rays and, and evaluating if there's bone healing or not. You know, again, this isn't going to help you. What I'm about to say, we wouldn't let you get to that point because we would stop you or slow you down before you, you got to that point. Anyway, so there are lots of things that can be done. I'm not your doctor. I'm not telling you to do this. But if someone is in an external fixator, things can be done with that fixator to try to stimulate bone healing that don't necessarily involve surgery. What's BMAT going to do? You're, you're, you know, maybe it's going to help. Maybe it's not. Um, someone have asked us in the past, why don't we do injections into the bone to get them to heal? Because we haven't had to. Just because you can't. Once you stick a needle in there, you run the risk of getting an infection. But why don't you prevent the malunion or nonunion rather than treat it? So uh, things can be done. Uh, this is way more complicated to, to answer. I, I can't, certainly can't give you medical advice. Um, but yes, there are things that can be done without having to do surgery, especially with an external fixator. So at least you have a fixator. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, you know, you want to talk to Angelique and make a consult and send me x-rays. I'm, I'm happy to give you my opinion. Um, that's about all I can say about this. Very cool. Time lapse car guy Bruno says, "Let's get a group on going <laughs> for statue link. That's so expensive." But this question, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, there, are, there is the uh, I don't know the numbers, but we've had plenty of siblings come, or father, son, father, daughters, whatever. And yeah, there there is a bit of a family discount and a frequent flyer if you had one and you come back for. The really? Yeah, there there is. Oh, there. See, that's like that's what's not on the menu. So, like yeah, the that's like you see those things on social media, things you can yeah. put off menu at your favorite. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you just got that from the Robins exclusive right yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Bat Limit, Batmanlet Begin says, do you do cosmetic external uh, tibia lengthening with the tailored spatial frame? Uh, or do you have a recommendation for any surgeon that does this because the chance of a fat embolism, yeah. pulmonary, pulmonary embolism is lower with this method? Yeah. So, um, you know, we would do it. We would. And so uh, uh, TSF. So what, what this question is asking, would we do tibia lengthening with an external fixator, a hexapod type circular external fixer, not not technically an Elizaroff, but whatever, something in the same ballpark as opposed to lengthening because the chance of fat embolism P is lower. So the risk of pulmonary embolism um, is the same for both. It's, it's really the fat embolism because you ream and hollow the bone to put the rod in for the nail but you don't ream or hollow the, the, the bone to put the fixator on. So the PE risk is the same. The fat embolism risk is theoretically lower, but our risk of fat embolism is, is low. Um, yeah, uh, we would do it with a hexapod fixator if you wanted it. Um, we'd, we'd talk about it. We may be able to look at your x-rays and maybe you have very wide bones and very little bone would have to be removed, which means your risk is even theoretically lower. So. Um, yes, the best surgeon for any limb lengthening is myself or Dr. Paley. Get in touch with Angelique. Make a consult. We'll talk about it. There you go. There you go, guys. All right. We're going to take two more questions, and then we're going to call it a day. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, so this question from Hani. He's actually been on here before. Uh, 
Is there any strength training that you recommend during lengthening, or is it mainly just range of motion and stretching? So you mentioned prehab before, Dr. Robbins. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah so. so so again, to answer a question with a couple of comments, anecdotes, and questions, we've had more than a few patients come to us with a lot of muscle mass. And, and it's sad to say um, your beautiful muscles that you've built before this are going to atrophy pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, it's pretty shocking how quickly your leg muscles will atrophy. Um, so some part of your rehab, as um, we were hearing, is just learning to walk again, getting your, your walking muscles back. A little bit of strength training is okay, but it's really flexibility. And another way of saying it is no patient has ever stopped lengthening because they were too weak. Plenty of patients have slowed down or stopped lengthening because they were too tight. So so the, the strength, some amount of strength training is important, but it's not like bench pressing and squatting, it's like keeping your, your walking muscles working, your gluteal muscles, your abductors, and, and all those sorts of things. So, and, and it's actually not plenty that have stopped because of tightness because we keep you from getting tight. But you know what I'm saying. Um, if you had to spend an hour a day, I'd rather you stretch than, than strength train. Okay, very cool. All yeah, right. And yeah, then the, my yeah. wife has something to say. Yes. Yeah, okay. that we're really on par with the flexibility and they were almost too, like they're exactly where they should be, we would then introduce a little Pilates you. and a little bit more strengthening because they were already met their goals for flexibility. Could, could you hear that? Pilates. Yeah. If you're meeting your goals for flexibility and you now have more bandwidth and time and energy, then we'll apply that to, to strengthening. You, okay. you, gotta meet, you gotta meet the bar for stretching and flexibility before you put your time into something else. Thank yeah, you. and you guys at the Paleo Institute, you guys do a really thorough pre-surgery examination of flexibility just to make sure yeah. they can even get it done. What are your thoughts on like clinics that just like sign up, make your deposit, and they schedule your surgery before they even kind of get their hands on you? So I I'm okay with scheduling surgery because the logistics of traveling from another country, getting a visa, finding a place to live, I have no problem putting you on the books. Yeah. We do ask screening questions. Do you smoke? And let's talk about that. No smoking, no vaping. Don't lie about it. Don't kid yourself about it. If you're putting harmful chemicals into your lung, whatever it's called, doesn't matter to me, you have risk of anesthesia complications. You need to stop doing it. You need to get out of your system. Three months is better than one month, but you cannot take harmful things into your lung. One, it can kill you because mm -hmm. of anesthesia complications. Two, it can give you cancer down the road, but all of those chemicals can also inhibit and slow bone healing. So anything, vaping, electronic pens, I don't care what it is. Don't do it. Stop it. You don't need it. Okay. Um, so I have no problem with someone booking a surgery to, to, as a placeholder, and then you fly in and we evaluate you. There's no guarantee you're going to do the surgery. But again, if you're going through the time and expense, you're going to put a deposit down. You're going to pay a lot of money for your surgery. You're going to buy a ticket, rent a place. Probably all things are going to be on board. But our team has a screening questionnaire and, and we ask you, and I sure hope you're not showing up in Florida without reading and watching and understanding what you're getting yourself into. Because if you are, you're doing yourself a disservice. This is not to be taken lightly. This right. is real surgery with real potential complications. This is completely elective. There's no compelling need to do this except for your own internal drive. This isn't gonna fix something that's broken and life-threatening but it could be potentially life-threatening. Let's hope it never is. Um, but, but, but really, I can't say that enough. Do not take this lightly. Just because it can be done doesn't mean it should be done. Just because we're having a forum and the three people here are very happy with this, bad things happen, even in the best hands. Mm -hmm. So 
please do your homework and due diligence and know what you're getting yourself into. This really has to be affecting you to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So there we go. It's saying thank you. Thank you. But real quick, I actually want to kind of get uh, Brett and SG and maybe Rio if he's here. You guys just take for any prospective patients who are watching right now, considering limb lengthening with, let's say, Dr. Robbins, and they're saying, should I make, you know, take the plunge and go ahead and do this? What, what, what kind of advice can you give them, Brett? Um, yeah, I, I would just say be very smart and take the time to evaluate everything you're looking into. And if, if you do that and you really want to do it, then, you know, go into it 100 percent. Like like Dr. Robin said, you can't think you're just going to show up and this is just going to happen and you don't have to really try, you know. So yeah. awesome. very cool. Uh, SG. Um, I think that it's this procedure changed lives. I mean, it's when when you have the the, the high dysphoria. I mean, it's it's bad for your mind, for your mental health. So this changed all that, but it's a serious process, a serious procedure. So it means if you are have the time and you are full committed, uh, do your search, uh, educate, learn and do your research and if you make the right choice you will get the 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 best results and you'll be well very happy with the with the with the results that's awesome great to hear and then Rio. thank you yeah. Yeah. thank you for saying height dysphoria so i'm glad you said that because we didn't talk a lot on the mental health aspects and victor yeah. you should write this down as a topic we'll, we'll have a whole separate like 10 or 15 you got it. health aspects so so who's the the ideal patient to have this is someone who who is affected by their height and i'll leave that sort of open-ended you think about it too much you know your perception of your height is what counts here it's not what other people tell you so and it's not the number you could be five foot ten and have height dysphoria you could put be five foot two and not have height dysphoria uh, <laughs> plenty of people on, on on both extremes so so the people who are doing this vast majority are affected by their height in some way or other. And we call it either height dysphoria or height neurosis. This is a type of a body dysmorphic or body image disorder. This is not depression. This is not a psychologically classifiable thing that's a psychiatric disorder. Let's be clear, these are very different. This is not designed to treat a psychiatric disorder. This is a treatment for someone who is fixated or having this neurosis about their height. And when their height changes, by and large, this goes away, and it's really cool. And it doesn't go away because you reach your goal of eight centimeters, six point five. The vast majority of patients, they may be sad they only got five and a half, and they really wanted seven. But when they go home and return to the friends and family, if you ask them, they're going to be happy. It, yeah. It's not a certain amount. It's the fact that you are intervening and doing something like, "Aha! I've taken charge of this thing that mm -hmm. has bothered me in whatever capacity, and I'm doing something about it actively." And that's a pretty cool absolutely absolutely i love that we're going to definitely do a, a discussion on the mental uh aspect of this whole thing because there's not enough content out there on that and i think that yeah. this is a ma that's a major thing for this whole surgery is stature length and it's mental so, yep. very cool uh this last question here from course she's saying do you accept any more doctors for your residency programs or fellowship <laughs> programs at center we, so we, we're not a teaching hospital we don't have a residency program uh, okay. Okay. with that being Please. said um we we do have physicians from all over the world who come visit either as just observers for a few days or even as a scrubbed observer, whether they have credentials to be in the operating room and watch us do things. Um, you, you can get in touch with Angelique about that. And then 
she'll pass you to another one of our colleagues named Sarah Ziegler. But on any given year, I bet we have 50 to 100 surgeons come, not just not just for, for stature lengthening. It's, you know, we do a lot more than that. Um, but we, but we, we do some training in a lot of surgeons' lives, but we don't have a formal residency program. Gotcha. Very cool. And I have to introduce the famous Angelique Keller yes. on stream. Angelique, welcome to the show. I'm so sorry. I saw you popping in and out here and there, but welcome. Can you hear us? Hi, thank you. Oh, um, you can hear you loud and clear. Yes, I can. Can you hear me? So I, yes, we can. So everybody, wow. I, I want to introduce you to the yeah, no, we can hear you. Uh, this lady has, you know, I, I met her when I went to West Palm, and she is literally on top of everything from A to Z. When you come in, she's super, you know, uh, you know, just really, really nice and everything like that. But she, what she really does is keep the whole team working together smoothly. Now, Angelique, I actually had a qu uh, question earlier about the Abu Dhabi and the polling clinics. Now, you have more information on that. Um, so you guys are taking stature patients there. You kind of mentioned in the chat here. I saw it. So you want to speak a little bit more about that real quick? Oh, yes, definitely. We offer stature lensing uh, in Abu Dhabi and Poland. We have been done that uh, since their opening. And we have uh, had a patient already finish lensing and going home from there with great uh, feedback. So if anybody need uh, help with arrange those consultations and surgery, you're welcome to contact me. I can definitely help. And they have great services over there as well. Very cool. And as you guys- And Dr. See, Paley will go to each location about four times a year to do surgery. Gotcha. And, and we're hopeful with, with this in place, we're hopeful I am doing that as well. Okay, look at that. He's yes. going abroad. Dr. Robinson. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. It's kind of a supply and demand thing, and, and somebody has to stay home and take care of the other patients. So. There you go. That's so sure. true. Yeah. Oh, we only can pick one of the other 25 surgeons. I mean, that's come right. on. <laughs> that's right. All right. Last question. This just popped okay. in here, and then we're going to do our outro. Uh, this was for you, Dr. Robbins. He says, Does Dr. Robbins know a doctor that handles thoracic outlet syndrome for patients? I had it done, and I'm having serious nerve problems or damage. Yeah. From so, unfortunately, I don't. So, thoracic outlet syndrome. It also depends on where you live. Uh, it's a it's a rare thing. It's it's you know we say it's kind of easy to diagnose. You do these maneuvers and you get these problems. But but it, you really want to go to the person or persons who do this a lot. And maybe that's where you went to and you're just having an atypical outcome. This is definitely the kind of thing that you want to get on the internet, which is very easy to do nowadays. And Google where is it thoracic? Like where the limb lengthening and and stature and congenital problem place on the earth and you found us here, you can certainly find that other niche practice that does thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, I'm sorry you're having this problem, um, but it's important to know, are you having an atypical problem because something went wrong or are you having a typical problem and the expectation is that it's going to get better? And this is way out of my scope. So I would absolutely refer you to you know, getting online and, and reaching out. I'm positive there is a center somewhere in the world who would do a virtual visit with you and and, and give you knowledge just like I am, because that's what we're all about. We, you know, we're trying to offer the best care for for patients to have a choice. That's right, and you guys do it extraordinarily well. Guys, I wanna, this is, this is amazing. I mean, we have just hit our milestone with our 100th episode. I mean, we kicked it off with the man who started it all, Dr. Robbins. I mean, the bone magician himself is here. It's incredible, but really this milestone episode is also about you guys, you prospective patients, you dedicated viewers who have engaged week after week, this journey, this discovery and learning. Um, I'm super grateful for all you guys and your continued support. 
Um, after all, it's all your questions, your curiosity, your engagement that's made this journey like you know truly special. So from Cyborg for Life, I want to thank every single one of you guys for watching, asking these amazing questions. Um, Dr. Robbins, for your time, I mean, over two and a half hours sitting down, answering patients' questions in this amazing presentation. Um, you know, we're reminded that like knowledge is going to be the thing that kind of helps. It's the beacon of progress, right? It's going to help us to expand our understanding of limb lengthening and bring awareness to the world. So guys, I want to thank every single one of you guys, Brett, Rio, uh, we have uh, SG on here. Angelique, thanks so much for helping out. Lena, you've been here the whole entire time. Thank Everybody you. watching in the chat. Um, yeah, oh, somebody said something, I'm sorry. Um, all you patients watching from around the world, I know you guys, different time zones, you can watch the replay. It's gonna be up on the channel 24 seven. And uh, yeah, so if you guys wanna reach out to the Paley Institute to book consultations, um, you can go to limblengthening.org, as you see in the ticker there at the bottom, or just email Angelique here. She's happily answering emails every single day, all day, <laughs> akeller at paleyinstitute.org. Um, and as far as the precise max nails go, you guys can still book your surgeries for them. They will keep your deposit and schedule you as soon as they get the nail, okay? so. You can do that. I know a ton of you guys have consulted with me, emailed me, DM me, everything like that. <laughs> the Paley Institute is the, the clinic that is going to be the first to implant it. We're going to have Dr. Paley come on in the next six to eight weeks when the nail is ready to come out. He's going to do a big, big episode on that. So be sure to stay tuned on that. And uh, yeah, guys, you can also email Dr. Robbins and say thank you so much. Um, you know, and all of that. He has it's crobbins at paleyinstitute.org. Yeah. 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 So and if you have questions for me, you, you send them to Angelique or Limb Lengthening, they'll get forwarded to me. But yeah, if you want, you're welcome to post my email anywhere you want. Awesome. Very cool. Well, right. thank you guys for watching. That is episode 100 of Limb Lengthening Live. Let's give it up for Dr. Craig Robbins. <laughs> That's funny. Yo, Brett, everybody here. And until next time. This is Victor from Cyborg for Life, signing out. See you guys next time. Bye. Have a good night.